Welcome once again to the Fifth Observatory. My name, believe it or not, is still Jed. I know, right? <laughs> and, and I'm still Trej. Are you sure? Yes, definitely. Okay, let's move on from that. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to tell us about this birth certificate you supposedly have again. No, I'm trying to dodge the question so you will make me reveal it one day. <clears throat> He's dodging the question, people. Let's hound him more. Oh god. Anyway, let's let's step away from let's step away from that before I start feeling dirty and right wing. <laughs> so uh yeah. Uh it has been a week. I don't know how, how I would describe it other than it has been a week. I had a four-day weekend. Did you have a four-day weekend? I did have a four-day weekend. How was your four-day weekend? About four days long. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, you know. Uh, due to COVID restrictions, you can't really go anywhere or do anything. Um, although last week, uh, the restrictions were opened up enough that we can actually visit people in each other's garden. So uh, it was nice to visit some friends uh, the weekend. Um, oh. Managed to talk to them about what they thought of um, various geeky things that we talk about here. But, um, but yeah, other than that, no. Mm. I played Star Trek Online because I'm a... No, to be fair, I wasn't actually in the mood to play Star Trek Online, but my daughter's been nagging me for weeks. Play Star Trek Online for me. Play Star Trek Online for me. Like, she's six years old. All she knows is play the Star Trek game. Play the Star Trek game. All right? So I'm like, oh, fine. I'll play the Star Trek game. And about five minutes in, I'm back in the MMO grind of, all right, I've got to do all these little side quest things that, you know, are idle yeah. quests so that I get this this dilithium and this dilithium and this dilithium and then I'm going to buy this and then I'm going to buy this and and it, it, it's it's amazing like on a sociological level I'm fairly certain that somebody could do a really clever thought experiment or just a genuine experiment about okay what is like the the stimulus reward thing of playing an MMO and all the stuff that happens with that because it's bloody hilarious like the the amount of time that I have put in just on a morning every morning for the last few days just sitting down in front of the TV, putting the game on, and going through these ridiculous side quests that I just literally press a button, does stuff, all right? But the point is, I get some arbitrary online reward, you know, uh, uh, currency thing to get to buy some arbitrary online thing that I never get to... Like, I, I was so proud of myself the other day because I had enough in-game currency to unlock the Deep Space Nine jumpsuits. You know, the, the red shoulders and the black body. Not this one, this is the Picard outfit. I'm, I'm a uniform geek, sod off. <laughs> but, you know, I was so proud of myself that I'd unlocked that. And I was like, cool, I am one step closer to role-playing one of these many characters that I've created in the Star Trek Generations kind of uniform where they can't fucking decide which one they're wearing that hour. <laughs> you know, I'm this much closer to being able to do that. And then I suddenly stopped and I realised, my God, I'm a sad bastard. <laughs> and you know what, though? It's, it's fun. It's, it's lots of fun. It's, you know bit nuts but fun well, as long as you're having fun doing it that's fine i mean i'm similar at the moment i've been playing red dead redemption 2 the online version um not because i want to play with other people i can't stand playing with other people to be perfectly honest i just want to switch on my game and play my game but it tends to be a lot of the online games those are the ones where you can actually make your own character and it is nice every now and then you know if a friend can like join and that kind of thing but uh but yeah i've been doing they have like these daily challenges and you just get like a tiny amount of gold every time you do them. And so then obviously it builds up over time. So then you get a large amount of gold and you can spend that gold on stuff. And I keep going on, doing a bit of daily challenges. And the reason I keep doing it is because actually I just 
I just enjoy the the beauty of the game. You know, it really is a well-crafted, beautiful game just to look at, you know, the, the scenery, the mountains, the wildlife, the, you know, the trees, all the rest of it. So I just enjoy, so I, you know, riding around and having a purpose to ride around, you know, go here, do that, and blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, think about it, you know, how much time, like, because <laughs> it's like, you know, you start off, you get like, you know, point one of a bar of gold or whatever it's, what it is, and then, you know, you carry on, and after a few days, if you do it every day, you then get like point one and a half, and then it's point two of a gold. And it's like you've got to keep doing it every day, otherwise it drops back down to like, you know, the half a bar or whatever it is it starts with. Um, so, you know, your daily streak. Of, and I was like, oh, I've got to keep the daily streak. I've just gone for, you know, it's half an hour just to get the daily streak. Up. And I was, looking, I was thinking, like, why am I actually bothered about, you know, the daily challenges? Because there isn't actually anything I want. You know, it just becomes like an addiction. More gold, more gold, need the gold. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, as long as you're having fun doing it and, you know, there's no having that. And let's say, I just I enjoy going on that game just because I enjoy having a ride around and, uh, you know, just enjoying the view, checking out the wildlife. I mean, to be honest, um, I was about to make a joke there, but I'm not going to. Um, uh, but no, uh, to be honest, probably the only reason that I put up with the grindiness of Star Trek Online is it's Star Trek Online. Mm. So, you know, the graphics are 10 years out of date, you know, even with like like tweaks and shit, you know, and, and all the best starships are hidden behind fucking random loot box bollocks, which pisses me off. And that could be a whole podcast in and of itself how much this stuff is stuck behind random loot box bollocks. But no, so, but for me, the thing that I actually really love about it is, you know, you can fly around in the Enterprise yeah. if you really want to, you know, and if, you, if, you, if you're good about it, if you, if you know what you're doing, if you get your ship with all the best gear, you can take the Enterprise D and you can fuck some shit up, <laughs> all right? There is nothing quite like, your fly especially since my missus finally caved around about Christmas time, let me spend money to buy, so they designed um their own enterprise uh or they rather they got a competition going to design its own enterprise uh for the game so there's the enterprise f now in the game and so my missus actually caved and let me buy enough in-game currency to get the new enterprise basically uh so i can fly that thing around and it's got all these cool functions like saucer separation little work bees that float around and fix your ship it's crazy, but it's amazing flying this thing that you know is basically the latest Enterprise into the middle of a bunch of like random fucking Discovery Klingons because Discovery Klingons are in the 25th century for some reason. You just fly into the middle of a bunch of them, fire all phases everywhere, all right? <laughs> Spread a torpedoes, blow the bastards up. It's just, ah, uh, you know. To anyone who doesn't give a shit about Star Trek, I must sound like the most annoying nerd ever. But for me, like for, as a Star Trek geek who grew up watching the Enterprise blast the shit out of ball cubes yeah well to anybody who doesn't give a shit about star trek they probably wouldn't be listening to this anyway so that's a good point bye bye <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, yeah but other than playing games have you been watching anything new so you know mm. the general topic of conversation around here well to sort of continue a few topics I, so i gave up completely on falcon and winter soldier after watching a bit of one episode yeah. um but after our previous conversation about Invincible, I decided, screw it, I'm going to go read the comics. Okay, you know, I'm well, going to go... Okay, well, come back to Invincible in a moment then. So, um, because, saying now he gave up on Falcon and Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah. Um, just... At the weekend, it was uh, Saturday night, and a friend of mine sent me a text message saying, don't know about you, mate, but I've given up on Falcon and Winter Soldier now. And, um, and that was on Saturday night, bearing in mind it was released on Friday, and that's when I realised, oh, I forgot that was out. 
that's the impact it has on my life is um i was like oh i suppose i'll watch it <laughs> but uh yeah it really really is dull i mean that's it's dull and predictable i mean I don't know if you saw this latest episode at all. I know you said you watched a bit. So, so you know how, well, as we've touched on Star Trek, you know, in Star Trek Picard, they had the one episode where they had to infiltrate the gangsters' nightclub, so they all got dressed up in disguises and went to it. And, you know, like that was like a, you know, it's a trope. It's been done before and all the rest of it. Well, guess what? They had to infiltrate a gangsters' nightclub, so guess what they did? Got dressed up. Disguises, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it just follows the exact same predictable plot lines, except this time um, they got rescued by Sharon Carter, who famous from uh, the Civil War film, you know, helped Steve Rogers, who went from in Civil War being in the CIA and, you know, being a government official to then helping Steve Rogers. And apparently that made her go on the run. So then she was on the run. Um, so then, you know, after the blip and all that that went on. So apparently Steve Rogers didn't bother clearing a name or anything. You know, the Avengers just like, you know, left her out to dry, apparently. And so she's now still out on the run, you know, with her wanted posters on her name. Yeah, go figure. Even though, even though the Civil War stuff is over and it's been five years and yeah. Thanos happened. And, and everybody that was involved in the Civil War are all now friends and, you know, having hugs and kisses again. So I don't know why, but apparently Sharon Carr has just been left out to dry. So, so she, but fortunately for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier characters, uh, now that she's on the run and laying low, she was able to help them out with some, you know, underhand stuff and help them navigate the black market of made-up city. And, um, yeah, it was, and actually uh, going back a few to episode one when I said that there was a woman in the cafe and I thought she was going to come back in because there's a, a picture of her in the end credits with like some nunchucks or something. It wasn't her at all. It's actually Sharon Carter. And they look nothing alike when you see the two women, but the image that's in the end credits, it's like, you know, the like photoshopped it to be all cartoony and stuff like that. So when you've only seen like the one woman in the show and it's, you know, then you see her very briefly in the end credits. I thought, oh, that's her, but no, it's not. It was Sharon Carter. But um, yeah. It's, what can I say? It is really dull, really dull and really predictable. Again, we were having a conversation on this very podcast about whether or not it's okay to repeat tropes or follow the formula and so on, as long as you do it well. And But this is uh, the point, well, isn't it? But yeah, no, but it's not, not doing, doing it well. well. Yeah, this is they're the point, well. though. This is... They're doing it so poorly that it's predictable. Every episode is sort of sitting there and thinking, well, this is about to happen, then this is about to happen, and it happens. Um, I mean, some of the some of the stuff that's in there. I mean, there's some you know political commentary and stuff and stuff about you know race issues in America, that kind of thing, which I kind of would like to talk about. But at the same time, I'm a white guy from this old mining town in Yorkshire. I'm not really the right guy to discuss that topic, other than to say I recognise it. I see that it's there. You know, I'm aware of what's you know been going on obviously in the last year or so, especially with the protests for Black Lives Matter and all the rest of it. So you know, they, they are putting that stuff in there. They're trying for that, but they're going for like the, I saw an interview of the, the head writer and he was like talking about the diversity in the writer's room, the diversity in the writer's room. Um, so if you look through it all and there's no women in the writer's room, uh, if there are, then I've not spotted them, but they, by, by diversity, it's talking about racial diversity. So instead of it just being like a bunch of white men, it's now white and black men. You know, it's a mixture of different racial ethnicities, but they're all men. And you can tell with the writing that they're all men. It really comes across as, juvenile male adolescent fantasy bullshit and um mrs treasure even said to herself that while, she, while we were watching it the other day she was watching and saying like this is made for the boys really isn't it and it's like yeah boys as in not just gender but as in young adult yeah young males as well it's, I, 
I mean, like the the problem is, I find I don't know if you find this, but a lot of the time when people are touting, oh look how diverse we are, look how diverse we are, whether it be you know in their writing or their casting or whatever, usually it it covers piss poor storytelling, you know, that's because they, the thing no the thing the thing is that's what they focus on. You know, this is it, though, is that a lot of the time when people are focusing on that or when they're making the argument about that, it's to cover at best a mediocre product, you know, in my in my, you know, in my experience. So, for example, like really random example, Ghostbusters 2016. I never saw it because the trailer looked fucking mediocre and I like Ghostbusters, well, but I, I was not interested in seeing a reboot, you know, with a bunch of mediocre comedy actors. Yeah, because, you know, as a child of the 80s, that was one of the films, you know, that I remember coming out and absolutely loving. The 2016, I, I watched it with all best hopes, you know, because it's like, yeah, the trailer didn't look that good. The trailer to me, what I didn't like about the trailer was it looked, um, I think gaudy is the only word, you know, it's like all the... The devices all have like bright flashing lights on them, that kind of thing, and it is all throughout. Really, the really cross. super yeah, technicolor palette. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, that sort of put me off a little bit. But the main issue with the film itself is instead of having a script, they thought, let's get these comedians in who are known for doing you know improv and stuff like that, and let's uh, let them just improv on the day. And it's like, right, you've just been given like hundreds of millions of dollars by the studio to make a film, and you can't even be bothered to write a fucking script. And it shows that they're improving. It shows that they're just being allowed to go wild. And that because was the problem with it. Because they're improv comics and they're sketch comics, you know. And the thing yeah. is, like, you know, yeah, the guys who were in the original Ghostbusters were comedians first, you know. But they were comedians who had really great comedic writing yeah. and, skills. And, and for the original, they actually locked themselves in a cabin for a week and wrote a fucking script. They didn't just turn up, you know. Mm. But, you know, and the thing is that the thing is about that, though, is that, you know, when that was coming out and when people were like, well, this trailer looks a bit naff, doesn't it? You know, the immediate response from the bloke directing it is, well, you all hate women then, don't you? Yeah, Which is ironic because he, he's, he's the most manly man you could possibly look at, you know, for given value of manly, I suppose. But the thing is, it's like, you know, again, touting diversity and using it as this thing to go, oh, well, it's diverse to cover the fact that the actual product, like, you know, oh, we have a diverse writer's room. Yeah, sort of racially diverse and you're writing juvenile, boring, predictable crap that people are getting bored of about a week in. Yeah. And especially like coming off the back of something like WandaVision. Yeah. You know, um, which... That's the other thing is that was supposed to be the other way around. Um, well, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to come out first. You know, coming off the back of um, Endgame and all the rest of it, it was supposed to be like another standard Marvel thing. And then WandaVision was supposed to come in and people would be sort of like, oh, well, you know, what's all this? And it was going to like, you know, break the mold and be all amazing. But they swapped them around for, you know, reasons probably to do with COVID and getting stuff finished. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they swapped them around. So now we had the, you know, genre-breaking WandaVision and followed up by the mundane Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, this is... I mean, the, the, problem, I mean, the problem is... It has got its fans, though. I mean... I don't want to just like totally slag it off and as if I'm like, you know, dismissing other people's opinions because I see on Twitter, you know, people, you know, people like really do love it. You know, some people and, you know, fair play to them. I don't want to take anything away from those people who do enjoy it. It's just that's not my experience of watching it. It's not my wife's experience of watching it. It's not your experience of watching it. And judging by the text message I got on Saturday night, it's not my other mate's experience of watching it. You know, it's. Well, the thing is, like, I have absolutely no problem with people liking stuff. Like, for example, you mentioned Star Trek Picard. I fucking hate Star Trek Picard. I find that I find that to be full of predictable, boring tropes and characters. 
you know. But then you and I, in previous conversations that we've had privately, you've said that you really like the characters. You know, yeah, you I like mean, you like all that stuff. I, I agree the the tropes and the stereotypes and so on. But for me, it was the the actual performances were in Picard good, whereas in Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like they just they don't elevate the material. It, it, yeah, it, it's like it's like in Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like. We're giving you the starring role. So they're like, oh, we're the stars now. Oh, great. I'll not have to bother acting now because I've made it. And it's like, no, no, you've got to earn that fucking starring role. You know, you've got to bring it to the fucking table. You can't just turn up like, hey, I'm the star. They've given me the paycheck. You know, and I'm not getting that feeling from them. It's like, <laughs> it's like they're just turning up and they're just going through the motions. Whereas on Picard, I get what you, you know, like I said in our previous conversations, I do get what you mean about a lot of the tropes and, you know, stereotypes, archetypes and all the rest of it. But for me, each one of the actors was actually at least trying to bring a character out. You know, they were trying to get a good performance out of what was there. And I'm just not getting this from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I mean, this is the thing, though, is that both of our perspectives on the card are equally valid. Both anyone's perspective on anything, like whether you like it or hate it, is valid. Yeah. I mean, so long as you're not a dickhead about it, like it's not, if you're not racist or something like that, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, generally speaking, generally speaking, like this is what I like about our discourse and what I don't like about internet discourse, he says on the podcast. <laughs> you know, what I don't like about internet uh, internet discourse in general is it's very much a, if you disagree with me, you're an idiot slash wrong yeah. slash this thing. And it's like, well, actually, no, I just don't like this thing for whatever reason. And just not liking it does not make me a this and it does not make me an idiot and it does not this and it does not that. But, you know, I mean, fair play to anyone who watches this and thinks we're complete idiots for not liking, you know, yeah. Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm happy for you. Enjoy well, it. Enjoying this is, things. This is why at the end of each one of these podcasts, we always say, join the conversation. Hit us up on Twitter. It's, you know, so you can say that, like, you know, as long as you're not rude and abusive, it's so you can say, well, actually, I thought Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode three was the best episode ever. Great. You know, we can cool. talk about it. I'll happily talk to you about it, but yeah, just don't be a dick and say, you know, you're stupid, man, you're stupid. Fuck you. Fuck you and your opinions. It's like, okay. I mean, to be fair, if anyone goes to me, fuck you and fuck your opinions, I'll just be like, thank you, fuck you, block button. Yeah, you know, I have had, I have, I have at the moment zero fucking tolerance for twats on the internet. So uh, I've dealt far too often with twats on the internet. So I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. But you know, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, uh, yeah, as you know, um, I had a rather large experience with twats on the internet. So um, mm, that's kind of. Uh, yeah jaded my opinion of twats on the internet to start with yeah just but, just a uh, tad but uh, let's not get into that one no for example though um there are i mean we've obviously spoken about uh, the Zack snyder's justice league and um and i think there's a lot of people who have like you know this mcu versus the dceu kind of attitude whereas for me it's like no it's all superhero stuff you know it's all nom 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 i'm going to consume it all you know i love this shit um but i know that there's a lot of people who sort of, you know, seem to take the Zack Snyder's Justice League's a piece of shit. You need to watch, you know, whatever Marvel film happens to be out at the moment. And um, I've seen a lot of that. Like, every time anything positive gets mentioned on, like, Twitter, for example, about Zack Snyder's Justice League, you suddenly get all these MCU fans jumping on saying, it's garbage, it's, it's a load of... Uh, I was trying to think of the right words. It's, without just saying it's a load of shit over and over again. But um, that is basically what's happening. And it is just that, you know, lines are drawing in the sand. Let's just jump on this bandwagon. But why is the thing that bugs me about that is okay so you don't enjoy this i do enjoy this you know if you want to have a conversation about it like if you're putting it on a public forum like fair enough to a certain degree that invites conversation all right conversation. But it, yeah but this is the thing though is conversation is well i you know i personally wasn't as satisfied with my viewing experience watching this thing i thought this and this was flawed maybe not 
you're shit, it's shit, and how dare you like this thing? Go watch this yeah. thing. This thing's much better. A, so uh, a particularly... <laughs> uh, so I was going to say, ironically, a, a particularly productive um, uh, post, but actually the, the opposite is true. It's incredibly reductive of the Zack Snyder's Justice League. And it's talking about... I mean, let's face it, there's like over two and a half hours of extra footage in, in the Zack Snyder cut. And someone reduced it all down to um, a hot dog flapping in slow motion into the face of the leading lady. And it's like, okay, yeah, two and a half hours. You're an idiot. Yeah, over two and a half hours of extra footage, and that's all you saw. So, uh, yeah. <sighs> but, I mean, the thing is, like, like, the thing is, like, I know we invite people to talk to us on Twitter, and God knows, maybe somebody will actually j take us up on that one day. <laughs> but actually, like, most of my interactions on Twitter have been incredibly toxic. Like, here's, here's a really random, annoying example. On, Star on the Star Trek main page, it was the Star Trek... Twitter account was basically asking, oh, you know, you know, what do you what do you think of lower decks and stuff? What are you excited about? And the one thing I and I put on because I'm, I'm I'm a massive uniform geek, like uniforms and spaceships are my bag. I put so in Star Trek Picard, the flashback uniforms that come after the lower deck series have the Voyager batch, and we know the uniforms before lower decks have the Voyager batch. Okay, so what's the deal with lower decks uniforms? Not have it? They just have the Delta without the backing. They they do not have the Voyager badge. And uh, the series answered that question, by the way. So apparently the Lower Decks uniforms are in service at the same time as the First Contact ones from the next-gen movies. Oh, right. So it's just, it's different service uniforms because the Titan, spoiler warning, the Titan shows up at the end of the series and uh, they're wearing the First Contact uniforms. Right. So, you know, very clearly they're in service at the same time, kind of like the Disco universe uniforms and the Disco, the disco Enterprise uniforms. I have to apologise if I'm squirming around or if it's been picked up by the microphone. It's just... My um, geeky, I have a geeky cushion there with Batman, Superman and the Flash on. Um, it's getting a bit lumpy. It's getting a bit old. It's getting a bit lumpy and it's a bit uncomfortable in my back. So because I'm so incredibly old and lumpy myself, it's not making me mm. feel comfortable sitting position. I can imagine. <laughs> but no, so, so yeah. So I was interested in, okay, how does the badge thing work, basically? And the first comment that I got was somebody saying, to the effect of that is a really pointless and stupid question to ask. And why, why are you bothering asking about such minutia? To which I was like, yeah, it is a pointless and stupid question to ask because it's a fucking television show. Yeah. All of the questions are pointless and stupid. We're not curing cancer here. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't that arsy about it, but I was just like, you know, I'm interested in what I'm interested in. I like ships. I like uniforms. I really like ships. I really like uniforms. That stuff matters to me as a fan, you know. That stuff is part of my enjoyment of it as a fan, okay? You know, and we'll come back to that because something to talk about later in the podcast when we get onto Star Trek some more. But you know, so <laughs> to have somebody to have somebody turn around and go, "Oh, that's a stupid thing to be interested." Well, you know what? I think plenty of the stuff that people like Star Trek for isn't really that. I don't like it. You know, I don't see why you'd be interested in it. But it doesn't require my understanding to be a valid reason to like or appreciate something. And I'm not going to, you know, turn around and say to these people flat out you're stupid for thinking that matters. Yeah. You know? Because, yeah. you know, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that it's, you know, not important. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, on these podcasts, you know, we've talked about, or I've talked at least about how, for example, I'm not keen on the overuse of humour in mm. certain superhero shows, shall we say. Um, but as I say, this weekend I was able to get out and visit some friends Um and uh, yeah, and, and my friend was sort of telling me about how much he loved um, Thor Ragnarok, how great he thought it was. It was amazing. It's a great film, wonderful film. And I was like, really? Really? 
And um, yeah, and he sort of, uh, he knows my feelings on this. And uh, one of his friends, he plays um, online games with all the time. He was saying, now, now, I know what you're going to say because, you know, my other mate, he's just the same. My other friend's just the same as you. And, but for me, I like the humour. The humour works for me. The humour doesn't spoil anything for me. I enjoy it. And that's fine. You see, he enjoys it. I don't want to take any humour away from him. I'm not going to go on a tirade against him and say, you're wrong because of this. Stop watching this film that you enjoy. You know, that's what he likes. It's just, for me, it's, well, for one, it's uh, the changing an existing character, specifically with Thor Ragnarok, the changing an existing character. And, you know, there were problems with Thor. It wasn't performing as well as it should have done. I felt the films were maybe not as satisfying as it could have been. But instead of trying to th fix the problem, they just thought, screw it, let's just turn it into a comedy instead. Now, the, I've got two, two problems with it. And for me, it's um, the overuse of comedy in superhero films in general and sci-fi in general. That was always like a mainstream stereotype of, you know, sci-fi films and superhero films. That was a mainstream stereotype. And the makers of superhero films and sci-fi films have worked really fucking hard since like, you know, the 60s when it really was like, you know, if it's sci-fi, it's a B-movie. If it's a superhero thing, it's just for kids on a Saturday morning. And filmmakers have worked really fucking hard to overcome that stereotype. And now, not only is the stereotype being like brought back, it's being enforced by Marvel. They're, they're actually, you know, shoving the stereotype back in mainstream space and saying, yes, look, we are just a stupid comedy. And that's something that really bugs me. But you don't think it's, you don't think it's because of that word mainstream because the thing is like this is something that i've noticed like especially with the sort of you know advent of internet culture is okay so i don't know i'm, I'm pretty certain your experience would have been about the same as mine but when i was a kid and i was a sci-fi fan and a star trek fan and a doctor who fan in high school i got tret like shit for that basically yeah you know, I, I got i got bullied fucking mercilessly you know because you know liking that stuff was niche and uncool yeah. and you know why why would you like that stuff? And if you like that stuff, you're pathetic, etc. And it was an awful experience. And, you know, I, I feel like nerddom to a certain degree bonded in those days over that shared shitty experience. But nowadays, because this stuff is now popular and, you know, being yeah. brought into the mainstream. It's mainstream because it's playing on the stereotypes that the mainstream has. But going back to you just saying about that, you know, the bonding thing with the nerd culture and so on, go back and look at like um, uh, the films from the 80s and, and you know, back then, it's like, you know, the Goonies were outcasts, you know, this group of kids are like, you know, joined together as outcasts for the rest of society, but, you know, it's Goonies forever and all the rest of it. And, you know, in like, um, I don't know, the Lost Boys, um, in that film, the, the, the Frog Brothers in that, they're like social outcasts as well. But those are the ones you go to turn to when you need help with these kind of situations, because those are the ones who know about it. And then they reached a point, I think they missed the point with like, Buffy was supposed to turn the stereotype on its head when normally... Normally, you know, the blonde cheerleader getting chased by the monster and, like, you know, the hero has to save them, whereas this one, it's the blonde cheerleader turns around to actually kick the monster's ass. And I think they kind of missed that point, and they just started having the hero being, like, a normal mainstream person. And it, like... But for those of us who have been, like, genre fans all along, we could identify with the characters in the genre films because we saw ourselves in it, you know, because we were the ones who represented in real life. We were the ones who knew about the monsters and stuff like that because that's what we were into. You know, your mainstream guy who's off playing rugby or whatever, it, you know, you might find out one who was interested in a bit, obviously. But in general, it's the rest of us, the nerds, the geeks, who are, you know, not interested in that kind of thing. We were the ones actually interested in that. We were the ones that those films were aimed at. We were the, the customers, the consumers of it. And then it's like switched around. It's like, no, no, we're just aiming it at the mainstream now. And I don't like using that term mainstream, but I'm just trying to use that to identify and saying, 
mainstream as opposed to genre. So it, it stopped becoming genre things and it just became mainstream in this case that we're discussing about the comedy. You know, it's, instead of being like a superhero film, which is a genre film, it's just, no, we're just making another mainstream comedy film that happens to have superheroes and we're spending a lot of money on the CGI. And that's, that's what I don't like about it. Now, I don't have anything against having comedy superhero films. You know, I have nothing against like Deadpool, for example, but Deadpool was set in its own corner of the Marvel Universe. Nobody expected Deadpool to actually cross over with any of the actual MCU or any of the actual X-Men, apart from like the one gag in the second film, you know, because it was its own thing. But to actually then have like the actual main, main series of the MCU becoming increasingly more and more comedic and having those comedic characters actually taking over. Because I mean, when it started off, remember Iron Man, that was a serious film where Tony Stark was funny, but he was funny because of his wit and his intelligence. You know, it was his sarcasm. That was the humour. He wasn't funny because he was like, you know, funny character. Here's a comedy, here's a comic relief, the main guy. It was, no, he was funny because he was witty, but it was taken seriously. And then it's like slowly becoming increasingly thing, an increasing thing where the characters are actually just there for comic relief. I mean, Drax is a tragic example in Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, in the first Guardians ah. of the Galaxy, it, his race didn't understand metaphor, didn't understand social boundaries. So, you know, some humour could be taken from that. In the second Guardian of the Galaxies, Drax is just incredibly stupid. You know, Drax is incredibly stupid and therefore everything he says is a joke and you don't take the character seriously. That's what I'm fucking talking about when I'm talking about the humour in these shows. It just, it destroys individual characters and, you know, acts that have been set up over years as well. And, but, as I say, my friend, watch Ragnarok, loves Ragnarok, great. I'm not saying anybody who loves it is stupid because my friend's a very intelligent person, but when he's relaxing and he's choosing a film to enjoy for entertainment, that's what he, that's what he um, gravitates towards. And fair play, that's what he likes. But, you know, we're here to talk about our opinions and, you know, my opinion is the exact opposite. I don't find that entertaining. I find it cringeworthy to watch. I find it painful to watch, especially as someone who's been interested in that genre from childhood and used to, you know, feel inclusivity with the characters and now I feel I'm being pushed away. And it's like, no, you're not part of this genre anymore because the genre's going mainstream. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is it, though, is that, you know, that's the thing that I've been cer certainly feeling for a while is this notion of being, I guess, feeling pushed out of the genre that I used to enjoy and it used to be, you know, because it's, it's going more like, you know, again, I feel like Star Trek's gone that way where what you had in the TNG and DS9 era was, yes, there was action. But the core of it was this really thoughtful, almost morality play, you know, of here is here is an intellectual problem and we're going to approach it. And it might be that we have to shoot it or it might be that we have to, you know, do something really clever and intellectual, you know, and approach it from a thoughtful perspective. Moths. Um, Leave them off. They, they destroyed one of my favorite coats. I will never forgive them. Anyway, I was talking about Star Trek. But now, you know, you get to like you get to like your Star Trek discovery now. And the bad guy in season two of Discovery was just an evil AI from the future, you know, interchangeable with Skynet, interchangeable with the machines from the Matrix, yeah. you know, just any old generic evil machine thing that wants to kill humans and other sentient life because reasons, you know, there was no, there was no thoughtful philosophical debate. You know, there was no clever resolution. It was just pew, 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 fighty, fighty, fighty. Pew. Yeah. I mean, the big example of that for me, yeah, no, we've, spoken about this in private, I can't remember if we've actually spoken on the podcast, but for me it was season three, the very first episode of Michael Burnham, and it's like, you know, oh, we're stuck in a corner, what shall we do? Oh, let's just murder all these people to get out of it. And it's like, what the fuck? You're supposed to be Starfleet. 
you know, since when the Starfleet first approached murder everybody to get out of a situation, you know, that's like a last resort for any staff, you know, any time Kirk opened fire on someone, it was a last resort, you know, it, it was never like, oh, there's an alien ship there, oh, let's just blow them up and kill everybody on board. It's like, whoa, Kirk, calm down, shall we try talking to him first? You know, it, you'd never just go straight, but in this one, it's like, and, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, so she'd like been given like these like, drugs that like, you know, made her loosen up a bit, so she wasn't quite thinking 100%, but afterwards, there was no guilt, no second, you know, no hindsight, no, no thinking about it, no feeling. There was no emotion there. It was just like, oh, oh I've got to get out of this situation. I'll just murder everybody to do it. Afterwards, yeah, I murdered all those people. What's for tea? You know, there was, where was the emotional impact on it? You know, doing that kind of shit, especially for well, we're supposed to be watching, you know, the epitome of Starfleet in this character. And it's like, <coughs> yeah, I know. But that's what she's being set up for. And it's like, but how can you just murder all those people and then expect us as, you know, fans of Star Trek, fans who, you know, who have, like, you know, seen what Starfleet's supposed to stand for, how are we expected to, you know, connect to this character now because she's just gone completely against everything that Starfleet stands for? And she's got no remorse. Because, because, you know, this is, I don't want to use the term dumbed down, but that's really kind of what it is, where you went from every antagonist is a person with their own reasons, sometimes very sympathetic reasons, for acting the way they act. But now, no, Wrath of Khan is popular, so let's just take Khan and make him a bad guy that you have to fight and kill, without realising that even Khan, all right? Even Khan, who is probably one of the more two-dimensional villains of the original, like, Star Trek era, you know, even his motivations are, like, more than just I am to evils and I'm going to do this for to evils. I know. Khan's motivation is I, I was a fucking warlord of the 20th century, sent, in, you know, sent into the future through fucking cryo freeze. I got here, you know, tried to take over a ship because I like doing that. Kirk spared me, put me on a planet, then fucked off and never came back to check on me. And my wife died. I'm, I'm understandably a tad pissed off about this. Yeah. And, since I was already, and since I was already a bit megalomaniacal, my response to this is not a healthy, you know, write a letter and burn it. You know, my response is I'm going to fucking kill him. You know, but even, you know, even Khan, for all that he was two-dimensional, was a very... I think, I think with Wrath of Khan, though, it's because it wasn't just, you know, pew-pew. It was, it was like mind games. It was strategy. You know, it was like submarines in space, you know, and it was that, you know, playing chess, like, what's your next move going to be? It wasn't just flying around, choo-choo-choo, choo-choo-choo. You know, it really was like, right, shit, where are they going to turn up? How are we going to avoid the sensors? That's, you know, what drove the story, you know, beyond the, oh, you dropped us on this planet and it turned out to just be a desert. Oh, why didn't you check it properly first? Uh, I think part of the problem, though, is basically because Star Trek has never been perceived. Sorry, people are talking about Star Trek now. It's just happening because Star Trek has never been perceived to be as, you know, monetarily successful as Star Wars. It's like the thing is when J.J. Abrams took over 2009 what was the first thing he said to everybody. OK, how do we learn from Star Wars? without stopping and realising, well, nothing, because Star Wars is space fantasy, not science fiction, you know? So what did they do? They made something that was basically like, you know, a dry run for his Star Wars movies in, you know, in the Star Trek universe, where, you know, it, it, it's not really a Star Trek story, is it? And since then, I, I dare say, we've had a few instances of Star Trek stories in, like, in, like Discovery, but actually the vast majority of it is still focusing on that you know, what is, you know, what's successful in the genre? Answer, space wars and miserable people and crying, you know, and pew pew. You know, because all the, all the successful science fictions recently have been all about miserable people and space wars and crying and pew pew, you know? And actually, you know, ironically, maybe, maybe that's going to turn around because obviously they're, they're working on stuff 
and hopefully that's going to turn around. But before we like, okay, we're jumping a bit all over the place. But before we sort of talk about Star Trek some more, we have we have bitched quite a lot about uh, you know stuff that Marvel's done that we don't like. We probably should talk a bit about One Division and what we did like about that. Yeah, you know, just to show that we don't hate all of Marvel, just the boring shit. No, no. In fact, you know, at some point we'll do a countdown of the Marvel films and uh, we can say what we like about each one. Um, that'll take a while. You know, they've got a lot of films. Could maybe just pick a top five each and say exactly what we like about each one. So think about that. We might even do that at the end of this show, but probably not because uh, my brain doesn't work like that. Um, I can multitask, but I can't multitask that well. Now nah, yeah. we'll, we'll make that a separate. We'll make that a separate thing, you know. I can't think you know. talk and think you think at the same time. But uh, one division, though. Mm. I, mean, I, I quite like. I, I I really enjoyed. it. I mean, have to get out of the way though. First of all, the the first two episodes, maybe the first three episodes, could have been condensed into one long episode. Uh, I don't think we actually needed a full half hour, you know recreation of the Lucille show you know it's I love Lucy uh, I don't think we really needed that you know in the Dick Van Dyke show I don't think we needed a full half hour episode of each one of those to get the point across I think just that here's 10 minutes of that cut to the adverts 10 minutes of the other one cut to the adverts and then reveal a little bit about what's going on I think that would have worked I think it was it was asking a lot and relying on the fact that they knew that you know we'd all be watching it because we want to know how this ties into the wider Marvel universe and all the rest of it you know I think I think they were relying on people, you know, they were relying on the good nature of the fan base. But that was mm. just me. I mean, it, for me, it's like if I was going back to do a rewatch of it, I'd probably skip those episodes and just go straight to the second half of episode three. I think for me, it's a, the thing is, it's a good series. There's some real high concept stuff. I love its exploration of grief. I love the character moments. I especially, I watched it for Vision and I love Vision stuff in it. Um, and I love, I love stuff. I lo the thing is, though, is that as much as I say I liked WandaVision, what I really mean when I say that is there are scenes that I will go and watch on YouTube when, you know, that eventually inevitably happens. There are bits of it that I will watch on YouTube. You know, there's not whole episodes that I will sit down and go, I really like this whole episode, you know, because th there are bits that I find really good and there are bits that I find sort of boring and to sit through. I think, you know, for me, the highlights were obviously the Wanda and Vision stuff. Uh, and I really liked, I liked the last couple of episodes, but I especially liked the two Visions fighting. Spoiler warning. You know, I liked the White Vision stuff because, well, for one thing, it was interesting to have this very cliche two superheroes with capes flying around, punching the shit out of each other, whilst at the same time, they were trying to have a philosophical debate. Like even, you know, even before that's, the proper philosophical debate, you had Vision being um, like, can't we resolve this peacefully? <laughs> well, that's kind of where... Uh... I was about to say, just before you said that, is that it was on the verge of just becoming another pew-pew superhero sign about fighting. And then they stopped and, you know, started talking about Theseus's ship and it's like, oh, ah, right, this is a bit different now. So I was on the verge of sort of thinking, like, oh, you've done so well this series and now you're resorting to this. And then the two visions stopped and had this conversation. And I'm like, ah, no, this, this is interesting. This is good. And then... And then you know, the way it was resolved as well, with that wonder having to collapse the hex, as they called it, you know, and especially as the whole series was about, you know, grief and dealing with grief, that was, yeah, that was a very touching moment as well. I mean, there, there are a couple of bits of it in terms of, like, the morality of it and stuff that I sat there and I thought, this is a bit questionable, you know, yeah. like, so, for, no, okay, so, for example, 
uh, first off, to get this out of the way, I fucking hated the whole thing with, you know, the sword guy and, and him being a villain, mainly because it felt so fucking tacked on. Like, the series doesn't need this guy to be a, a card carrying dickhead, you know? It and the thing is. on the nose. And it's a bit like, I'm sorry, but actually, when you stop and think about it, there is no reason this guy couldn't have been like a good guy antagonist. Like, a, he's an antagonist because he's against Wanda. But he has perfectly fucking valid reasons when she's holding a whole town hall. And then, like, at the end of it, you've got, you've got this fucking Captain Rambo being all like, oh, if only they knew what you'd given up. Yeah. You mean, like, all of them and their free will and their freedom and their children being allowed to leave their fucking bedrooms. All of that sh shit that they've been made to give up just so that Wanda can have her temper tantrum. You know, like, okay, fine. I get it. Grief is a horrible fucking thing. All right. I don't think there's a single person on the fucking planet who hasn't experienced grief, all right? Most of us do not then go and mind fuck a bunch of random innocent people so that we can live out our perfect fantasies with a fucking carbon copy of the person we just lost, all no, right? I think it's in that moment where it shows a flashback to her actually leading up to creating the hex, I think that that was, you know, when you have that moment of, ah, you know, that, that grief moment of, you know, he's releasing the emotion, in that moment, if you had the power, you could quite easily just shatter the earth and destroy it and fuck everybody else. You know, and that's what it was. But instead of destroying the world, she created this thing and she got trapped in her own fantasy. You know, she wasn't really consciously doing it. It was only that, you know, she was only partly conscious of it, but she was partly trapped up in the whole story of it as well. She, she was as much a, you know, a prisoner of it as, as anybody else. And that's how, it, well, that's how it was put across. But then... Then, you know, when they started attacking on the outside and she went to the outside and she's like, stop, fuck off, I'm, I'm busy in here. You know, and then yeah, she went back that, inside. That's and, that, and that's sort of broken. Yeah. It's like, oh, so she does know what she's doing then. So I wasn't sure whether she was supposed to or not. I, you know, I felt that was a little bit unclear. But this is it, though, is that, okay, if she doesn't know, and this is an entirely unconscious tapping of her power, that's one thing. If she does know, and she has forcibly mind-controlled an entire small town of people against their will, all right, if she has forcibly done this to these people, then I don't give a fuck how much grief she's in. That's fucking evil, all right? That's fucking evil, all right? I don't, I don't, I think it's really, like, morally questionable for fucking Captain yeah. Rambeau to be all like, oh, if only they knew what you'd given up. Yeah, you gave up two fake kids and one fake husband to let them have their real fucking lives back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, that's be, being really rude about it, but, like, no, it was it, a bit... It is, it is, but that's the point, is that it is a fucking awful thing to do. But the point is that, you know, in that moment of grief, even though you know it's wrong, you can't give up the thing you love. You know, that's... That's the thing to, you know, you're being asked to... You know, it's, it's like... Um, because, because she'd lost vision, then she had him back and she'd been asked to lose him again. You know, it's, it's that heart-wrenching thing of being asked to, like, no, I know this is wrong and I need to give it up, but just five more minutes. And it's like, you no, know, they keep, like, you know, sitting down to watch TV together. And it's like that thing when you're a kid and it's like, you know, you're supposed to go to bed and it's like, oh, just five more minutes watching this TV show. And five minutes comes and goes, oh, just five more minutes. And before you know it, you've been watching it for an hour. And I think it's like it's that kind of thing. I think that's also why it was tied to the TV because it's that kind of thing when you're watching TV and you lose track of time. I think that's kind of what it's supposed to be. Is that okay? Yeah. So she's not. So she is aware of what she's doing, but I think that she's not really aware 
of how much time's passing. I think it is that kind of when you watch TV and you lose track of time while you're playing a video game and you lose track of time. And it's just five more minutes, just five more minutes. I can't let go. I can't. As we started off this episode talking about, you know, when you're playing the game, like, you know, like mining gold or whatever in the game that you're in. And it's like, there's not really any logical reason for you to do it, especially in my case, because I don't even want to buy anything with the gold. But there is that thing about, oh, I just need to get, just I can just get 0.2 more grams of a gold gold, just two more grams. And here's that thing of just that little bit more, just that little bit more. But with her, obviously, she's been giving up much more than just a bit of yeah. game currency. Yeah, but my point is, you know, fair play. That's horrible. That's, you know, really heart-wrenching. And I, I feel for the character. But then when you have, you know, this sort of tacit thing of, what you did was totally, you know, it wasn't wrong, almost. This thing that Rambo is saying, that the way that it's Rambo is saying it, the way that it's framed, is almost like she is absolving Wanda of having done wrong things because of what she's, you know, feeling and what she's giving up. And it's like, it doesn't, to a certain extent, like, if it was, <laughs> yes, you did bad things, but I understand. That's one thing, okay? But it's almost like it's a tacit thing of, you did a good thing, you don't have to feel bad. And the one thing I like about that sequence, actually, when Rambo is like that, is Wanda's a bit like, no, actually, I did a bad thing. And I, sh oh. I should feel bad about it. I'll have to rewatch that sequence. That's not how I... I don't remember it. Oh, no, it's not, that's, not, that's not the text. It's the subtext of it. It's the fact that Rambo is all, like, sympathetic and a bit like, oh, if only they knew what you'd given up for them. And it's like, that's not the key thing. And I, the, the thing I like about that moment is that Wanda recognises, yeah, no, they have a right to be angry at me, these people. So I like that but side of it. I think the thing is that your, your inference of it is that she's saying it's okay, whereas I think it, maybe my take on it was her just saying, I understand what you went through, you know, I get it kind of thing. So um, let's say, I've not watched it since it first aired, so I'd have to watch that scene again. And I mean, to be fair, I watched it, I watched it, I watched that episode twice because it had two visions in it. So that, that's the only reason I watched that episode twice. But again, I, I will mainly just be watching clips on YouTube because... You know, this is the problem with a lot of stuff, though, is that increasingly there are bits I'll watch on YouTube and bits I won't, you know, if yeah. that makes sense. So, but... Um, but also with the with the whole thing of, you know, showing Wanda being capable of going to that extent is, you know, in the rumour mill, she's um, going to be play, playing quite a large part in the next phase of the whole MCU, and she might not exactly be a goodie in it. So um, I think that they sort of had this to set up so the fact that the audience now knows, A, she's capable of this power-wise, but B, emotionally, she's capable of breaking down. And, you know, she could do it once, she could do it again. And now she's been studying the dark hold, she could do it to the entire world kind of thing. You know, so, but that's pure speculation on my part, just based on, you know, a few rumblings I've heard on the internet. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's... <sighs> so what's irritating about WandaVision? And what's irritating about, you know, serialized storytelling like this, where it's just not ending. Because, you know, I feel like stories should end, you know. And, and I personally, there's part of me that thinks the Marvel Cinematic Universe should have really ended with, you know, Endgame, you know. Because stories should end, otherwise you just keep going and going. And the problem is, with serialized storytelling like this, where it's always... What's in, the, what's in the end credits trailer? What's in the end credits scene? What's in the end credits scene? What's happening next? You know, to a certain extent, if there's always something in this movie or in this series setting up the next thing, if there's always that dangling thread waiting to be picked up next time. Okay, really, really interesting example. For example, um, what, did, what did Universal call it? The Darkverse or whatever? 
where like you know, that, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know, where they where they had this fucking the mummy, but it was yeah. like meant to set up a whole cinematic universe. Marvel's good at setting up cinematic universes, but even they are a bit like now in WandaVision, okay. Right out of WandaVision, you've got Rambo, who's going to show up in the next Captain Marvel movie. As what is it, Photon or something? Uh, you've got yeah, so you've got Rambo, you've got White Vision, you've got Wanda, you know. So you've got all these different dangling threads that aren't going to get picked up by WandaVision. They're going to get picked up by all these other films and stuff. And it's like, okay, but then how, how is one supposed to enjoy it as its own piece of media fully when those dangling threads, you know, aren't picked up? Well, to be honest, this is partly what we've discussed in private, you know, about having franchises and things like that. And, and I've always made it clear that I prefer a film to just be a film. I don't particularly like films to have sequels and stuff. As much as I love, for example, the original Star Wars um, trilogy, you know, love them, grew up with them. I love them till the day I die. But still, in general, I would prefer a film to just be a film by itself. You know, I'm not a really big fan. And this is exactly why, because it's that then like, oh, but we could do a part two and it could be this or this. But then, oh, but part three would be interesting because we could do this, this and this. And then when you say, oh, but then part four, and it is like, when do you stop? And once you actually start planning it out, I mean, I don't mind if you have like a particularly long story and you actually have an actual long story in mind, having it broken up into two or three parts, which, you know, if, for example, the Star Wars trilogy or then with the prequels and all the rest of it, if that had actually an actual story had been written, if George Lucas back in the day had actually written that full story and then thought, oh, damn, it's just too long, I'll break it down and make a short film instead, then fair enough, you know, for making the trilogies and then the prequels and, and all the rest of it. But, but by the time you get to the sequels, you know, not only is it clear that that's not the case, but the sequels really is an example of let's just make it up as we go along. And... Um, and in the sequels, of course, it's also a case of I'm going to set things up, but then I'll hand it over to someone else and they can do whatever they want with it so they don't even pick up those story threads. Your but, Snoke series sucks. Yeah, but um, but going back to what we are saying about the Marvel Universe, though, the, the, yeah, so this is precisely why I don't like franchises. I don't mind, you know, maybe a sequel, maybe a trilogy, but at that point, you need to cap it and say, no, that's the end. And it's like, yeah, it can be part of that universe, but there's not necessarily going to be a crossover. This is a story of these characters and it's done and leave it at that, but to keep them going and keep stringing it along. And it again, going back to those video games where I thought, oh, if we just get a little bit more in-game currency, oh, what happens if I just play a little bit more? You know, what happens if I just do one more mission? If I get around this corner, if I just rank up that little bit more? And it's that same thing. It's, it is addictive. They're, they're getting the kids hooked on these things from a young age. And so then they're the next generation taking their kids along to the cinema to see phase five, six, and seven in the future. And um, I know that maybe sounds a little bit cynical, but... But yeah, I think there is an element of that being deliberate. So like, you know, deliberately not giving all the information. So then people have to watch the next film, you know, and then they deliberately will not give all the information again. So, you know, they'll like spoon feed little bits here and there until the actor finally says, okay, I'm done playing this part. And then they'll hopefully tie up all the loose ends then for them. But they'll also introduce new characters and not give all the information about them. I mean, the thing is, like, I don't mind long-form storytelling in, in general. In fact, I prefer it in a lot of ways because it gives you more time to develop characters. So the one thing that the MCU does quite well is it develops these characters over multiple movies when it doesn't do a Taika Waititi and screw them over in Thor Ragnarok. But that's a different story. But in general, like, the ability to sort of long-form develop these characters when you have a plan, you know, and when you know what you want to yeah. do with it, that's interesting. 
and where you can tie it all up in like th there is something satisfying about the payoff of like 20 films worth of fucking characters coming together well, in that was that that was that was what was what was satisfying about game of thrones until they overtook the books once they overtook the books then the producers are like okay well let's just aim to end it at so-and-so place and they're just like you know quickly rush through it after that but game of thrones was great at the long-form storytelling that spanned you know several series because it was based on these books and the books were incredibly in-depth you know there's so much source material to draw from but once they'd overtaken the books you know they just yeah ran out of ideas and just thought, oh well let's just cliffhanger after cliffhanger get to the end of it and so we can finish up and move on to the next project and it was yeah it was really really was a downhill slope very very rapid downhill slope after they overtook the books which is mm. a shame because you know it was great and you know the characters and you know the actors were still great that were in there on, on the whole you know there's still a couple of them that were popular but not necessarily good you know and they kept getting brought back because they were popular even though they'd actually died in the books long ago but you know they were popular so bring them back and get them on the tv screens who was that um i believe the um oh what's the name now the cell sword who helps uh, uh Tyrion lannister the dwarf the that character, the cell sword who helps him in season one and then helps him throughout and he becomes a, a lord, he gets you know made a lord of his own his own Bron. No. Bron. Bron, is it? He's Bron. dead in the box. I don't know if he's dead, he just wasn't in it. You know, he was introduced, helped Tyrion out, and then wasn't in it, but the audience really liked him, so he kept getting brought back. And you look at the last couple of seasons, he, he plays no part in it whatsoever. He just shows up, swears a lot, and fucks off again. But he doesn't actually play any part in it. And it was, uh, yeah, apparently it was implied, um, you know, it was implied as in very heavily implied that that was the reason why. And certain other actors weren't particularly happy that he was like, you know, being brought in to take up these scenes, especially because it was reducing their stories, you know, reducing their character acts. But um, yeah, again, that's just stuff I've picked up from the rumblings on the internet and I wouldn't want to speak to the veracity. But even if that side, it's not true. The point is, uh, when they actually had a story in mind, which was following the books, and the books were well thought out and did have a story in mind, they were great. Once they'd overtaken that story, and then they just started making more episodes for the sake of it, that's when it went downhill. And it's the same with the films. So, so as I was saying, yeah, I'm fine with, in film form, you know, a trilogy, maybe four films that's got an actual story that's you know, being told. But once you actually get beyond that and you're just making more films for the sake of it and spinning off other characters and how can we develop the franchise more? How can we expand it even more? Which is basically the reason why Falcon and Winter Soldier exists. It's not because I've got any great stories to tell with them. It's just how can we, what, what series can we do? What characters have we got? This character's too big for a TV show. They need a film. Who have we got that could be a TV show? What about these side characters? Yeah, we'll stick them in. And it's, it's not being made because they have a great story. It's been made just for something to make. Mm. And it's well, I see what you know put a pin in that particular sentence being made for something to make we're going to come back to that when we start talking about Star Trek in a few um, but before we do that so on the topic of superhero stuff uh, I mentioned earlier Invincible that I'd been reading the comics yes. so, so, so I, I have watched the episode so far and I'm loving it I really do like it okay so I'm not going to spoil the comics because they're probably going to follow the comics quite closely um, but you know, last week when I was saying I got really disappointed when it did the same thing that I've seen every other superhero thing do recently, which is just immediately deconstructed the Superman XP is the bad guy, you know, all these characters that I was really interested in get killed off. So yeah. 
first off, those characters get even less exploration in the comics. We actually get more of them in the show than in the comics. They barely appear in the comics, you know? Well, uh, uh, on that, I was looking and thinking, story-wise and script-wise, how, you know, this is really good, which, you know, great, it should be. But I was also looking at the cast they've got for it and the number of producers and things have got it. They spent a lot of money on it. You know, they've got a really... Well, maybe not A-listers to us in the UK, maybe not people that we'd recognise, but you actually look at the cast and they're in like, you know, really top shows in the US. So, um, yeah, they spent a lot of money on it and they would have developed a shit out of the original comic. So I'm not surprised that the characters have got more, more you know, more background, more coverage, more character development in the TV show, even in just that, you know, brief bit they've got because they took the original source material and then they really have, it's like, you know, developed it as much as they can. And a lot of the characterization comes from the great actors I've got for it as well. I really can't say enough good things about this show, to be honest. I really am mm. loving it. But the thing that's interesting about reading the comics is I've read the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it, it ends. Like, that story ends. And, like... So, I'm going to talk a bit about... So, have you ever heard of the phrase reconstruction in terms of... So, obviously, you know about deconstructing uh, a genre, right? Where they just sort of... They take, they take stuff and they make it more realistic or they make it more gritty or yeah. they say, this is what it would be like in the real world. Yeah. And usually that ends up making it darker and grittier and grim and depressing and everybody's quite sad. Like Watchmen, for example, is, is a classic deconstruction of superheroes. Yeah, that's okay. what I like to watch. Mm -hmm. Invincible, in terms of the actual comic, uh, is sort of a reconstruction where, okay, it deconstructs you know, the traditional tropes, yeah. and then it reconstructs right back into those tropes, but with, you know, more, more sort of acknowledgement of the deconstruction side of it, more sort of acknowledgement of, yeah, people die, people get, you know, beaten up, you know, cities get blown up, all this stuff. It's, it's an interesting sort of take on that, if that makes sense. And it's a really, it's a fucking amazing story, like absolutely incredible. Like it, it bounds all over the place and there's some, there's some really shocking twists and turns and shit. And, and some stuff that like you don't think that's going to matter so much after yeah. you've seen it sort of finish up and then it comes back and it's like, oh, shit. So, you know, <sighs> like, well, in I mean, short, read the comics. <laughs> I mean, I'm already, I'm already really into the show already, so I don't need selling on that anymore. It's, it got me by the end of the first episode, you know, and, and then I was like, after the first episode, you think it's like, oh, where they going to go from this? Sure, it's just going to be this and this. And then it's like, no, no, it's going to be this, this, and this. Oh, and that. And it's like, oh, fuck, yeah. I mean, I'm loving the character I really like is uh, the demon detective, uh, Damien Darkblood. I like him because he's, like he's like a mixture of Hellboy and um, Rorschach from the uh, Watchmen. He's like those two characters put together. And it works. It really fucking works. So I really in like the him. comics. So in the comics, you first see him from behind where he's literally just a dude in a purple suit and a trench coat and a hat. So it's just Rorschach. And what's hilarious is, he even goes, like he does in the comic. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, but no, like, legitimately, it's an incredible, like, it's an incredible superhero universe. And I'm really excited to see where they go with it. Yeah, so. me too. Me too. I'm going to read the comics after, after I've seen the TV show, because uh, I want to see how the TV show plays out. And then I want to read the comic story, you know, as its own thing, separate. But I don't want to read the comic story and then have that, you know, spoil the rest of the TV show for me. Especially because I'm enjoying watching it with, with Mrs. Treasure. So we can sit down and watch that together. And that's the thing that we watch and we experience together. So, you know, 
every twist and turn that comes about, we're actually, you know, seeing it new for the first time. So I don't want to go off and read the comics and then sit down and watch a TV show and be every five minutes like, oh, guess what Invincible's going to do next? I've seen this part. Oh, oh Eve does this now. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't want to be that, that guy. And, you know, deep down inside, I'll be wanting to do it. I'll be wanting to do it. So I just want to enjoy the show with my wife for the sake of the show and for its own story. And then I can go off and read the comics myself to enjoy that story. Um, which reminds me, actually, I mean, I've got such a list of comics I want to read, actually. God, I really need to get working on that. <laughs> I slacked off too much. Oh, oh yes, slacked off, sure. That's, yeah, that's I, I've slacked off my comic reading by doing all this, you know, writing films and stuff like that. <sighs> God damn it. Um, so, yeah, uh, so with Invincible talked about, shall we talk about Star Trek? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm dressed up for it. Well, or do you well, want to talk about something else first? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking Star Trek. I mean, we've already touched on it a bit, and I've got a feeling it's something that might like, drag on a bit. So if we just mention uh, Godzilla, with that being out uh, recently, because I, I watched Godzilla. I, I mean, you know, it's two big monsters fighting. You know, it's something I, I was always going to watch. It. You know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me who the director was. It didn't matter who the human actors were in it. It didn't matter whether it looked good or not on the trailer. I was going to watch it because it's two giant monsters fighting. And it is two giant monsters fighting. And it is exactly what you're sort of expecting from it for the first, for the first act, because it is kind of in the, you know, the traditional act structure kind of thing. So the first act, it is more or less just the two monsters fighting. You know, it's like a bit of background on Kong's here now, and then Godzilla's doing this now, and, you know, catching up on the monsters. Um, the one thing I'm not too keen on is the kind of... Um, uh, domesticate or tame the characters. You know, Kong's not Wild Kong from the jungle that we saw on, on Skull Island, and you know, Godzilla's not the you know the wild guardian of the planet fighting anything that comes down. It, there's, there's clearly more to them than that, which is good that there's more to them. But you're not watching these giant monsters for the characterizations. You're watching them because the giant monsters. You know, so but yeah. So then they have like this other side storyline with Kong. Um, well, not just with Kong, but Basically, you've got, you know, the old film, the uh, journey to the center of the earth, where it's like, you know, there's land underground that, you know, nobody knows about. They've basically got that. And apparently that's where Kong and it's implied the other um, giant creatures are all coming from. So they go down there and then there's a sequence where, you know, Kong's running around down there and he's like, oh, I'm home kind of thing. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not expecting that. I was not expecting this at all. So that's the point when it's like, it's, it is just two monsters fighting and then suddenly it's journey to the center of the earth. And it's like, what the fuck? When did this happen? What? And I mean, you can criticize it on some levels because like, you know, during the center of the earth, so where's all the sun coming from that's shining down on them? You know, it's brightly lit. And, but you know, it's like stuff like that. It's like, okay, you know, it's already two giant CGI monsters fighting. I'm not going to look into it too deeply. It's definitely a film. Take your brain out and just enjoy the spectacle. But, um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. And it is just a couple of monsters fighting, but I wasn't expecting it to be as popular as it is. It's, it's done remarkably well in the streaming services. It's, I mean, on um, in the States, I believe it was HBO Max uh, that it was released on, and it overtook Snyder, Snyder's um, Justice League, which was previously the, you know, the biggest download or whatever you call it on the streaming sites. So, uh, so it's overtaken that, which, I mean, I, I thought it would be popular. I didn't realise it would be that popular. I mean, it's doing really, really well. But also, um, <laughs> speaking of the Zack Snyder's Justice League, apparently uh, a lot of uh, fans of the Snyderverse um, being disappointed that Warner Brothers are no longer going further with any Snyderverse plans. Apparently they went to all the review sites and um, bad review bombed Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong, whichever way around it is. Apparently they're deliberately review bombing it. So then, um, I don't know, 
hopefully people would be put off, I suppose, because it's got bad reviews. But as I've already established, it's two giant monsters fighting each other. I couldn't give a flying fuck if it had bad reviews. I'm going to watch it, you know? So, but obviously it didn't work because, you know, it's gone out to break all the records. And you know what? Fair play to them. It, it is what they set out to do, and they've done it well, considering it's that genre piece. It's, it's not breaking any new ground. They're not doing anything remarkable, but they are, that thing we talked about earlier, taking the tropes, taking the act out, taking that, you know, the story out and doing something, you know, just doing it well. And they did that. They did it well. It's not perfect. It has plot holes. I'm not going to, you know, go on about them too much, but it's just worth noting that, yeah, if you take the tropes but do it well, you can get away with it. Um, I mean, I could spend... I could spend as long as the film is talking about why this character's um, unnecessary and why that... Yeah. The thing with the human characters, they have a tendency to have um, affectations. You know, instead of it just being like a real person, it's like, oh, well, this is the... You know, there's like one guy who's like a hyper-conspiracy theory podcast guy and he's like plays that kind of person all the time, whereas, you know, I know a couple of people who are like that in real life, but they're not like that in real life. They're like that when they get on the subject or whatever. So, you know, it's... It gets tiresome when it's like, no, this is this character type and that's all he is all the way through. He's not a three-dimensional character. So each character is just a two-dimensional. He's the general. He's the conspiracy theorist guy. This is the daughter from the other film. So we bring her back. And for no reason whatsoever, even though she's a teenager, she's listening to this grown-ups podcast because that's what teenagers do is you know, listen to podcasts instead of playing video games or whatever. But um, I mean, to be fair, I, I watched the first two Godzilla movies in this series. I never watched Kong Skull Island. But I watched the two Godzilla movies, and I mean, the thing is, I don't have an attack. I, I, I have a couple of friends who have an attachment to this sort of giant monsters fighting each other genre. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. I don't particularly care about giant monsters beating yeah. the shit out of each other. Uh, so my problem with the first one was literally for a giant monster film. I didn't feel like there was enough of the giant monster, and there was far too much of the you know humans. And the annoying thing was. There was far too little of the one human character I actually liked, which was Brian Cranston. So, you know, they killed him off, even though he was like front and center in the trailers. So it's like, yeah. okay, okay, this is a bit meh now. So I, I wasn't particularly impressed with that one. It was fun, but it wasn't like really my cup of tea. The second one, you got more monster fighting. So that was fine. I still didn't particularly like the human characters. I still didn't particularly care about them. But as you say, you're not meant to. I feel like, I feel like, you know, if I was to be really horribly harsh about it, that, you know, the fact that we're saying, oh, it's a, a giant monster thing, you know, the human characters don't need to be particularly three-dimensional, that we shouldn't be giving it a pass. We are, but we shouldn't be, if that makes sense. You know, like, no. like we... No, what, what I'm saying is the... You're not, be, you're not coming to the film for that. You hope that that part's good, but you're not coming to the film for that. You come in for the giant monsters fighting each other. It's God, you know, Godzilla? Godzilla? It was Godzilla versus Kong. That's what you're going to see is that versus that. Bang, let's watch that. That's what you can see. You hope that the human side of it's going to be interesting and going to be good, but you're not coming for that. You know, because you know, at the end of the day, it's just going to be a bunch of humans running around going, how do we stop them? How do we stop them? Oh, no. And it's the just, thing you know, is, what like, way are they going to say it? The thing is, though, is that for me, that's the difference between something that you can sit and watch once, like all the way through, and then you just go and watch the clips on YouTube, like Avengers, for example. I do that with the Avengers movies all the time. And, you know, something where you'll sit down and watch the whole thing more than once because the whole thing is good, you know? And I feel like just because, you know, 
if there's a big monster fight and you're going to go see a big monster fight and the human bits are just ancillary, fair enough. But if the human bits are just ancillary and they're not very well thought out and they're a bit naff, I'm not going to buy that movie. I'm going to watch the clips on YouTube. I'm not going to go out and buy, you know, like... I'm not enthused, basically. And maybe it's just a genre thing. Maybe I'm just not into the genre of giant monsters beating the shit out of each other. Because the thing is, I like Pacific Rim. But I like Pacific Rim because, you know, the first Pacific Rim, I should say, because, yeah, the main premise is giant robots fighting giant monsters. But you've got some interesting character stuff and you've got some fun performances and you've got Idris Elba being a fucking badass, you know? So, you know, you can sit there, you can watch that and be like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, that's, and you can keep watching true. that because because that's the interplay true. is still interesting the second time and the third time. But that's that's what I'm saying though is that is the difference between the first Pacific Rim, the first Pacific Rim, and this film is that this film is just a as I say, take your brain out, you watch it for the spectacle, and you move on with your life. The Pacific Rim is something you can maybe give a rewatch. For me, the um, lead actor whose name escapes me at the moment, um, I'm not a big fan of him. Um, because he's he's a prime example of I'm an alpha male, you know, I'm going to play this as a macho guy and, you know, I get my own way because I'm the alpha male and a macho guy because alpha males and macho guys always win. And he's like that in like just about everything he plays from, you know, Sons of Anarchy to the King Arthur. He, you know, he always plays that same cocksure, I'm an alpha male macho guy. And I'm just mm. going back to that thing again of the genre and, you know, it's like back in the old days, you know, the genres used to be for us geeks and all the rest of it. But now it's like, you know, we're having to sit through, he's the hero. But uh, but no, no, it is. As Charlie Honman. Charlie Honnam. That sounds right, yeah. But yeah, no, it yeah. is. That's what I mean. It is just to take your brain out and you just enjoy the spectacle of it. But it's not really anything more than that, which is why I'm also so surprised at how well it's doing. You know, I'm so surprised the numbers it's actually doing on the streaming service because it's good, but... I don't get, I don't quite get why it's got that much word of mouth and all the rest of it because it's not Yeah, but what you've good. got but what you've got to consider though is that at the end of the day, if you're a fan of Godzilla movies, all right? At the end of the day, you're a fan of Godzilla coming in and, and smashing yeah, the shit. Which is which is why, you know, they're expecting, you know, across the world it's available to, you know, it could be, you know, a couple of hundred thousand people watching it, but apparently it's like in the millions, you know, it's like overtaken everything else, it's broken all the records. And it's like there's not that many people who are fans of the you know that kind of yeah hat. except except the thing is like at the end of the day the stuff that appeals to people who are the hardcore fans namely giant fucking monsters beating the shit out of each other you know it's going to appeal to everybody this is there's this great dichotomy in every fan base that i'm in which is you know fans will always go oh you've got you can't make it too much like it actually is because that won't appeal to the mythical casual audience and it's like no 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 it, it, the casual audience will like the same things the fans like you know the casual audience will like this stuff because the casual audience is what every fan started as, well, you know? No, no, I disagree with that because I know, I know a lot of people who just flat out refuse to watch anything that's slightly sci-fi, you know, genre, monsters, whatever. They're just like, oh, it's not real. I'm not interested. Yeah, but the thing is, the thing is, <laughs> okay, so... So to say, to no. say that, you know, oh, everyone will be appealed to that. No, some people... Okay, okay, but my, my point is, there are more people who are appealed to by this stuff than just the fan base, all right? And, and to say that it has to, like, in fan bases, generally speaking, there's this notion that you have to dumb down the bits that make it too weird so that this mythical casual audience will come in and watch it. 
the casual audience aren't going to watch it anyway. All right. That they're just not, as you say, there are people who don't care about it if it's got even a hint of this stuff. But the, fa the fact is these premises, these ideas, they're strong, they're fun. People will sit down and watch them. It's why stuff like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is as mainstream as it is, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a fun, cool concept and it's something that you can sit down, watch, and it's exciting, you know? Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, as I say, as I say, I was just really surprised at the massive numbers, though. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you can explain away being a success, but not the raw way record-breaking success. That's the things I don't think you quite appreciate just how much of a success it's supposed to have been. That's why I'm hugely surprised. But uh, but for people who are fans, you know, I just wanted to pass that message out there for people who are fans. It is an actual enjoyable for people like me who are actually genre fans in that particular genre. It, you know, it satisfies a niche, let's put it that way. It's it's maybe not something you'll go back and rewatch over and over again. There are some nice moments in that, you know, like you said, like go to the YouTube to rewatch, you know, and it does have some nice little Easter eggs in that, you know, hints to things that have gone in the previous films and also hints to what possibly could go in future films and so it's nice but it's uh yeah it's just a good couple of hours take your brain out and watch it and enjoy it i enjoyed it but i only enjoyed it in that capacity of whoop, take it out and uh, enjoy the spectacle which is something that normally it's like soft like cgi you know overusing films and it is like you know 90 percent cgi so for me to say i sat down and i just took my brain out and enjoyed it you know it's that kind of film. You, you, it's exactly what it says on the tin. But, uh, okay. Yeah. Also still sort of surprised that the Snyderverse fans thought that by review bombing it, they'd somehow affect Warner Brothers' turnover. Yeah, but I mean, that, to, be, to be perfectly honest, in every fandom, there's idiots who are that stupid. All right? And the fact is, there's, there's people... Like, for example, uh, the guy who's playing in... Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the guy who's playing the not Captain America, you know, the replacement guy, got oh, death threats. He got death threats from fans for playing that character. Wow. And the thing is, like, the fact is, fans and people in general are sometimes really fucking stupid. <laughs> and, like, I'm sorry, if you're the sort of person who, like, I want to restore the Snyderverse, hashtag restore the Snyderverse but I'm not the sort of person who goes and reviews bombs shits. I just fucking put the hashtag down occasionally, you know, to keep the momentum going. You know, I, I don't understand why people are that stupid, but you know, probably because I'm not that stupid and the ability to understand that kind of stupidity requires to be that stupid. So, you know, mm. fair play, fair play. But anyway, mm. um, that's how, like, you know, QAnon and all the rest of it ended up becoming so popular as well, because it's like, you know, People get latch onto things and say, "Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll join in with that." And uh, yeah, I have no idea what the fuck QAnon is, and I'm probably sir, I don't want to know. Yeah, it's it sounds okay. it sounds like the sort of thing where I'm just like, "Fuck this shit! I'm out! I'm out!" Yeah, I'm out. it's in a nutshell, it's a conspiracy theory website, but it's set up like a game. So instead of instead of just saying, "Look at this, isn't it shocking?" It's look at this, think about it for a moment. Couldn't it mean? And then it allows you to sort of piece things together. And it's like, what do you think that could mean? So it leads you to like research it. So, but it's directing you in the way that you research it. So then you come up with it, but it makes you think, makes you think that you've actually thought of it yourself. So it makes you think that you've uncovered this thing by yourself. 
And so then you you feel rewarded, especially when the rest of the QAnon community say, oh, well done, well done. Oh, yeah, you spotted it. Aren't you clever? And it sort of draws you in. And then everybody else is like standing around you going, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, my God, I can't believe you just fell for that. So, no, no, you don't know, man. You don't know, man. And, you know, it's that sort of... <laughs> And the, the classic, the classic, the, the classic line that they use is, um, "Well, you don't have to believe it if you don't want, but you know, I've given you the information." It's like you haven't given me the information. You told me a load of bullshit. But yeah, no, people have like lost family members to it. You know, they've gone down the QAnon rabbit hole and never come back. In fact, the guy from it was on the first Thor film. You know, the guy who owns the pet shop when Thor goes in, he's like, "I want a horse." Um, there's a the guy who's behind the counter. He's got like curly hair. Um, he spiraled down the QAnon rabbit hole and never came out again. He, in fact, I believe he ended up dying, um, but that's a separate thing to the QAnon. He, you know, ended up various problems and issues, but um, probably, best, probably best not to go down that rabbit hole ourselves at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's a bad thing. Jesus Christ. So anyway, Star Trek. So fucking <laughs> finally! I got dressed up in my fucking Star Trek uniform especially so that we could talk about Star Trek and we ended up talking about fucking Q and on although Q and on seamless seamless <laughs> so for those of you who don't know First Contact Day which is April 5th uh, passed by quite recently and on it on First Contact Day an absolute metric ton of trailers and shit drop so New teaser for Star Trek Picard, new trailer for Star Trek Discovery, trailer for Star Trek Lower Decks, and the first reveal of what Captain Janeway is going to look like in Star Trek Prodigy. So I want to talk about... I kind of want to talk about Prodigy first, because that's the one where I'm like super negative, and I want to go down the list of things from like most negative to least negative, because... I haven't seen much about it. I saw the Janeway reveal, and that's about it. You know, I saw a couple of, like, you know character shots but that's you know i've not really seen much else about it okay okay so have you seen the picture of the rest of the cast the picture with janeway and the rest of them in a lineup kind of thing okay but, yeah so not the first seen the rest of the cast in detail though okay so the first picture from star trek prodigy was that cast without janeway okay right and the first thing that i thought when i saw that is bunch of random kids in star wars outfits and a cute robot dude. Why am I watching Star Wars Resistance? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like I was really skeptical, like super skeptical. And as more stuff has come out, like, like, so Janeway, first off, Janeway fucking looks like Janeway. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like the, there's this odd thing that, you know, last, I think it was last week we were talking about how, you know, discovery has radically changed the aesthetic of the TOS era, you know, arguably for the worst but the point is it's radically changed it <laughs> whereas if you look at if you look at the stuff that's set like in the 24th century now that has really kept to that aesthetic which is odd because you know sure it's not dated in the way that fucking jelly bean buttons and go-go skirts are but it's still dated you know like like the jumpsuit that Janeway wears is still dated design you know I don't, I don't dislike it. I love it. I love the fact that they're keeping to that stuff. I love the fact that we got the first contact uniform full fucking force in, in Star Trek Picard. I love the fact that you still got the fucking Voyager badge on that, you know, flashback uniform. I love all that stuff. But I find it interesting that we went from let's completely redesign the entire aesthetic to no, let's keep these very specific bits of the aesthetic pretty much as they were last time we saw them. 
And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that's like a reaction to the backlash about the aesthetic that they must have had, you know, because like if I got pissy about it, there are people 10 times pissier than me on the internet, you know? No, I really think with Discovery, they were reacting against the J.J. Abrams universe. You know, I thought that they didn't want to look too much like that. So whether they would have done it without the J.J. Abrams universe, that would be a totally different conversation. But with the J.J. Abrams universe stuff being out so recently to it, I think with that, they were reacting against it. So they didn't want to be too much like the original look because it would be compared to that look. Whereas with this one, there isn't anything that's comparable, you know, and it's sort of established with the Picard show that from, you know, next generation to Picard, the uniform stays relatively the same. You know, sometimes it's colour at the top and at the bottom, other times it's, you know, the other way around, whatever. But, um, it stays relatively the same. So that's sort of established within the show, I feel. But um, I'm not sure what you mean by it. It looks dated, though. I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. <sighs> okay. I mean, so like if you... So, sorry, so, so it's like the original series show. It's like, you know, the miniskirts, which is a 60s thing. Which you know they tried to sort of like reintroduce to some extent to the in TNG, but they didn't really use it to the same level. I don't think. Yeah, but like TNG's design is incredibly fucking dated. The entire TNG aesthetic, right the way through to the end of Voyager, is incredibly dated. Like you know, you've got dated. Okay, starting with TNG, like the first two seasons, you've got these spandex onesies, which that is dated as all hell. That is so eighties; it's not even funny. Especially when you combine it with, like, you know, the incredibly 80s hairdos that the women have. You know, the incredibly 80s way that you're basically flying around in a luxury space hotel. You know, it's its own, it's its own thing now. Like, that clean sci-fi future is its own, like, former kapunk, practically. You know, of just being those smooth lines and the very, like, 80s carpeted, you know, shiny future look. You know? That's its own thing, it's, almost. In I mean, right. Okay, that going back and looking at the specific actual TNG set, but what I mean, but is that we, has been kept. That has been kept. You look at Janeway; it's just woman in space costume. I don't see what's dated about that image. Well, okay. First off, first off, I should I should caveat this. I don't think that the TOS look is dated in a way that makes it unusable for the modern era. Okay, well, not but for the, the general costumes. Okay, my point is, it's very clearly something that was designed with that. 1980s to 1990s television show thing in mind you know so okay to put this into perspective this uniform the picard starfleet uniform is very similar to janeway's uniform except because we've got hd tvs now and you can see people's fucking skin pores if you get 4k tellies if you actually look at the real ones not this one because this is like early on cosplay but the real ones have like really subtle patterning on them and that's the reason why that's the reason why in a lot of these uniform designs now it's got the really subtle patterning like the the disc recovery uniform has the patterning on the side um you know the picard uniform has the patterning here you know so have something that is basically just black jumpsuit red shoulders gray undershirt you know that design in of itself relatively dated you know in terms of like the simplicity of it which I suppose is good for animation. But then if you actually look at like the design lineage it comes from, it's just an extension of the very 80s, you know, uniforms that were being designed for TNG. It's an extension of that. You know, it's an extension of that very like 80s, 90s aesthetic, you know? So my only point is I'm not complaining about the fact that they're using it. I love the fact that they're using it. No, I'm no, just I'm curious. Just genuinely, I was just genuinely curious what you felt was dated about it. That's all. Well, you know, the thing is, like, I love it, you know, 
But my 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 point is, it's interesting that the reason that they don't use the the '60s uniform designs and they don't keep to more of the TOS aesthetic is, oh, you can't make it look like that; it's dated, you know. But then you go to TNG era stuff, and they've kept that stuff, even though, by and large, that stuff is still like 25, 30 years out of date. You know, they've kept bits of that aesthetic that are 25, 30 years out of date when actually the core designs are as good as the TOS design. You know, I, I, you know, the very slight updates and developments that they made to make, say, the Picard flashback uniforms or the Picard uniforms, stuff that feels like a very natural evolution of that stuff. All right. You compare that to the radical change that they made to the 23rd century aesthetic and it just it jars with me on an aesthetic level, you know, and I get your perspective. I don't, I have never in my life seen a single interview where they say that every interview I've seen is just them going on about how dated TOS looks, which to me is, you know, a very a lazy excuse because I feel like a, as a creative person, there are ways you get around something being dated in like the materials that are used, you know, if the materials being used or the way that those materials are used well, to create a design, you know, is dated, then you go in and you, you know, change the materials, but you can keep the aesthetic. Again, looking at the J.J. Abrams universe and leaving aside your argument, the J.J. Abrams universe keeps the three colors. And for God's sake, the, the actual uniforms in the first two movies, apart from the Delta pack, are basically TOS uniforms. The mm. uniforms in Star Trek Beyond, yeah, they've got a metal pin and they've got shoulder pads, but they are basically TOS uniforms. So, you know, to turn around and go, oh, you can't make it look like that. Well, actually, okay. Okay. Frankly, like from a, from a design lineage perspective, there is no reason you couldn't color the Discovery Bridge with the colors that the original series bridge had. All right. Make it a slightly nicer material, maybe, but keep those colors. And instead of the displays being generic touchscreen displays, have them keep to the color scheme that was established in the TOS era. Because, I mean, Enterprise did that. Enterprise... Like one of the things I really appreciated when I rewatched Enterprise was you look at the computer displays in Enterprise, they've got the same colored squares that are in the TOS era, except that these colored squares now, when you look at them, they've got little bits of writing in them to explain that actually, yeah, they represent something. They're not just colored squares. Similarly, there would be nothing stopping you from see, doing. It's, it's just, I've never, I've never seen the argument of we can't take the general look and update it because the general look is in some way dated. You know, it's like, it's like yeah, we can't just literally wheel out the old sets and film on those because those are dated, you know, the, you know, being put together out of that cheap plastic and stuff like that. They just they literally would not hold up under modern. Okay, well, my, my point is anything, but oh, my, my well, point. But, but what I'm saying is there's nothing about the design itself. No, I'm agreeing with you. There's nothing about the design itself, yeah. which is dated. It's just, it's just okay. you're not saying that you can do it. That's a general look. It's, I've never heard anybody say that you can't do that. That's, I mean, I'm, yeah, exactly. No, okay. so, I've no. never heard anybody okay. say that. Okay, no, nobody's ever said that. But the thing is, whenever they comment on this, doesn't look like the TOS era. We've changed things. Okay, whenever I see them comment on that, the argument is we can't make it look like it did 50 years ago because it was dated because it's 50 years old. It's like yeah, I think I think when people say that, they're talking about literally like it. Yeah, but then they're talking about it and you have to look at that in the context of they're talking about it while sitting on the radically altered, completely not anything like the 23rd century design yeah, that we're think, used to design. I think there's like two extremes there. There's the, we can't make it look exactly like the old one because that's dated, which is true. So we need to update it in some way. 
So it's just a question of how much does it get updated? So whereas, you know, it's sort of a case of, well, if we're updating it, then why not go wild and do something crazy new? I'm not saying you should. I'm just trying to maybe get into the headspace of, in these conversations, perhaps what they're meaning. Mm. But I'm, I wasn't there. I'm not the person who said it, so I couldn't really say for sure. I mean, I mean, like, some of the changes... Plain, plain devil's advocate, I suppose, just sort of like, maybe this is what's meant. I mean, okay, so sort of go back to Prodigy for a bit, because I got sort of tangled in talking about, you know, design and stuff. Uh, you know, again, the first thing that sort of occurred to me about... First off, I'm glad that Janeway looks exactly like Janeway. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad. I'm really glad. And I'm actually, like... Since I was more a child of the 24th century era stuff, I'm, I, okay, I am fanboy pissed off about the fact that we are not going to get arcade uniforms in Strange New Worlds, you know, but as long as they don't, you know, do a TNG era thing and put them all in completely different uniforms to the TNG era, I don't really care. Okay, I'll live with it. I will live with the disappointment I feel as a fan of the TOS aesthetic, okay, because they haven't fucked up about with my 24th century aesthetic. These characters are dressed the way that they're supposed to be dressed. Okay? I will take that. It's cool. It's fine. Um, I was still like... It's interesting now reading what they're talking about, Prodigy, which is basically, these are a bunch of kids... To my understanding, they're a bunch of kids with a Janeway training hologram. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, like, they're trying to live up to Starfleet ideals. I think some people have speculated that they might be in the Delta Quadrant. You know, and these are kids in the Delta Quadrant with, like, a oh, bootleg right. Janeway. You know, but that's all speculation. I don't know. And, you know, it would be interesting if that was the direction they're going, uh, is what I'll, I'll sort of, I'll, f I'll finish off there and then we'll move on to, I mean, it's you know. my, my understanding that it is meant for the very much younger end of the audience as well. So I don't think it's going to be something that's aimed at us. You know, it's one of those things that, I mean, you've got young kids. So it's something that, you know, if you've got to sit through, you know, programs aimed at younger <sighs> kids anyway, then maybe you watch it. But I don't think it's really, yeah, I don't think on an intellectual level it's meant to sort of stimulate adults' minds that much. You know, it's that, I could be wrong. It could be aimed at an older audience, but the impression I've got is that it's, no, it's really meant oh, it's for a kids show. Kids. It's a Nickelodeon kids show, so you know it's meant for kids. So there is that. Yeah, but there's there's I meant mean, for kids, but then there's like you know, Clone Wars meant for kids, but some of those episodes are really fucking dark, and you know, clearly meant for the adults that are watching as well. You know, I mean, uh, my hope, my hope is that we get something more like Clone Wars in a way. You know, because it's uh, <sighs> the impression I got though was it's, it's like no, it's definitely aiming at the younger kids. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um. Now I'm going to I'm going to make editor Anthony hate me because I need to go take a toilet break. <laughs> so editor Anthony is going to hate me in, for this, but I do apologise. So I will be back in a moment. Okay, we'll pause. I do apologise. Okay. Uh, all right. And I'm back. Hi! So, uh, so, sort of go away from Star Trek Prodigy and the long, annoying conversation about uniforms and aesthetics, and to go on to Star Trek Discovery. Well, the first thing I have to talk about is the new uniform and aesthetics! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I mean, okay. First off, I can't be the only person who fucking hated the grey uniforms from future Starfleet uh, in Series 3. Like, like, so motion picture it hurts <laughs> you know like i thought i thought there was something there was some interesting bits about it you know there was some interesting bits about that aesthetic but like overall like just the 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 gray uniforms with the single gray stripe sorry the single color stripe down the body it seemed a bit 
so it's interesting to see that they have now, for the first time since Discovery bloody began, given these characters full body fucking colour uniforms. Thank you! <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I am ridiculously excited. Like, I shouldn't be because I don't like Discovery. I don't like most of these characters. Sorry, that's not fair. I really don't like one of these characters because she's bloody annoying. We all know who I'm talking about. Uh, 90% of this cast don't have a presence in this series. You know, like they've basically been background characters that we're told to pretend are the main cast. Okay. That's, that's something they, going back to the original series, is it had its car three or four main characters. And it's surprising, actually, if you go back and rewatch the original series, how many of the supposed main cast actually are just background characters, though. You know, like two losing like you know two episodes or whatever, but I'm exaggerating. But um, but you know it, it, they do have like the main. Obviously, there's the core trilogy. Of, you know, Spock, McCoy, and Kirk. But Scott is actually much more forefront. Again, didn't you may remember from her childhood? I remember as an adult when I went back to rewatch them. So you know, grew up watching them all the time on the TV. And uh, yeah, I was surprised as an adult how much Scotty was in them a lot more than I realised. Um, but. Yeah, they had the actual car group of, of characters and they were always, but it was them on the bridge, them discussing how do we deal with this problem? How do we get around this? Or I'm on the away mission, you're up there, so you need to take care of that while we're looking after this. With this one, it's part of that, um, you know, the, the serialised drama sort of part of it. It's like they've all got their ongoing storylines, which is great, but it means that nobody any gets, nobody ever gets any real coverage. You know, we just... Yeah, it's like, okay, like Michael's got this love interest this series, and you know, now she's doing this sort of thing, but that's the main focus. And you know, yeah, along the way, Stamets is feeling this and feeling that, but we never really get to understand exactly what he's feeling because he's just a side character because the cast is that big and they're trying to give screen time to everybody. But you don't need to give that much screen time to everybody, I don't think. But I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, if this was if this was in an ensemble show where these characters were being properly developed, it would be different, but. I have no idea who the fuck who the fuck like Kayla Detmer or Joanna Washington are as people. Like 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 in series one, I didn't even fucking know that they had four first names. I mean, all right. I mean, it's, it's like you were saying though, you're you know, you're a costume spaceship guy. I always like sort of like picking out the recurring characters in the background, even though they don't say anything or whatever. I like to you know TNG that'd be like you know so and so Winston that you'd see regularly on the background. Oh, there they are again. I enjoyed that. So that's me. I am actually interested in that kind of thing. And if they do get a line every now and then, it's like, oh, good for them, they've got a line. But with this one, it feels like they're being given lines for the sake of it rather than actually, you know, having some a reason for it. And and to go from like series one and two to then series three, suddenly it's like, oh no, suddenly you've got PTSD, but we're not going to explore it fully, just act like you have. And it's like, okay. And it's like, oh, now you haven't got it anymore. Oh, okay. And it's like, well, hold on, where's that storyline? You know, that would have been an interesting storyline to actually follow, especially explaining why she particularly has PTSD and none of the others have. What was it about the thing, you know? Yeah, but we have to focus on Michael Burnham and how yeah. much he hates being told what to do. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I, like, I still can't understand why Michael Burnham is in a fucking military outfit like this. I don't understand how she functions. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, like... You know, when she's constantly insubordinate, constantly, you know, like undermining her superior officers, constantly like, you know, we're going to get our hands on this classified data. And Saru has the, like the one thing I the one thing I give series three some credit for was for a while there, characters were actually turning around to her and saying, Mitch, you're in the military. 
fucking know. Well, I mean, you know, that's like, it. In, in life in general, um, okay, I've got kids, they're older now, but when the kids were younger and they'd be with their friends and they'd be playing with a ball or whatever, I'm one of the parents who's sort of like, no, let everybody just play with the ball, chuck it about, have fun, it doesn't really matter. However, if you're actually playing a game of football, like a proper team sport, you need to have the captain of the team and you need to like, you need to know about who's a stronger player as a striker. You need to be up front. Who's better in defence? You need to be up back. You can't just have everybody running around saying, let everybody play with the ball. I get that. You know, and it's like that in a hierarchy, like a military, which, you know, the pseudo-military that Starfleet is, you need that hierarchy and it's there for a reason. Um, you can't just say, oh, yeah, well, we'll give you a go at command this time. You seem to be good at it in that one instance. It's like, no, you need actual hierarchy. You need to earn those things. You know, you get you get judged and get given merits for a reason in those situ situations. And you can't just, as you say, you can't have a main character being insubordinate and then still being given command. You know, and I still stand by, there's no reason Ensign Tilly should have been given, you know, made number one. That just makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And I'm sorry, the rest of the fucking crew, they would have fucking mutinied if that was happening in real life. You know, there's oh, no like way. That, that would undermine a captain's authority because that's like, yeah. okay, okay, we, I'm sorry, we, uh, we fucking worked for years to get yeah. the rank that we have. Why did we fucking bother when we should have just dyed our hair, Ginger? Been cutesy, all right? Been cutesy, awkward character stereotype for two seasons, you know? I, I, I don't know. Tilly is fun, but Tilly is fun because she's the cutesy, awkward stereotype character who can't help but be fun. I mean, but she doesn't fit. If sort of like, they'd have actually had her develop through the, the, you know, the officer training or whatever, then fine. But for her to just be instantly, you know, Ensign, you're number one now. What? What? That's, yeah. So to talk about positives then from that discovery. Okay, so like, the thing is, most of that trailer was just the same bollocks discovery always does, which everybody looks sad. There's, there's this, you know, big hopeful speech from Michael. There's explosions. There's something that they're talking about that's the next big problem that we're going to have to solve yeah. this series. See, that's the problem with, like, you know, series three. Oh, there's no warp drive because of this big thing that happened. You know full well by the end of the series, they're going to figure out what the big problem is and everyone's going to have warp drive again. And so just from this trailer, oh, there's an anomaly and it's five light years. Big five light years. They've got no sense of perspective. Whoever put that line about being five light years, it's the same person who described the inside where the, you know, the, the fucking, the, oh. The turbo lift. So uh, whoever it was that designed that turbo lift bay, that's the same person who decided this anomaly is five light years wide. They've got no concept of scale whatsoever. I don't think they actually realise just what a light year actually is in a, you know, in actual term of distance. But Okay, so, 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 so. To put this into perspective for any of our viewers who share the sci-fi writers have no sense of scale, <clears throat> how big is a light year? Okay. <laughs> okay. A single light year works out to, and I'm going to have to read out the numbers in order, okay? 9460730472580.8 kilometers. So yeah. that's like several billion miles. Several billion miles. And it's five light years wide. It's like, you know, I mean, on a galactic scale, it's not that big. But in terms of um, bearing in mind how much of the, you know, the galaxy was supposed to have actually explored in Star Trek, you know, something that big would take up like all of Starfleet space, basically. It's, all right, that's an exaggeration again, but you know, it's absolutely fucking huge. So, for them to sort of say there's this anomaly and it's that big, where the fuck did it come from? And how come no one's seen it before? Because an anomaly, where did that it come big, from? Yeah, an anomaly that big, but but it doesn't really matter because by the end of the series, it'll have resolved it anyway and it'll have gone away. 
by crying probably possibly you know if i if i wanted to be sarcastic i mean here's the thing okay like I mean, positives the, see the things that on an episodic on the episodic you know the old series it was each episode introduces threat and it's how do you overcome it whereas now i'm not feeling it anymore i don't really feel there's any kind of threat i just know at the end of the series they will have done some characters will have fallen in love others will have fallen out but at the end they'll all come back together and anyone who dies will probably come back next series anyway so probably yeah. I, I, just, you I, know. I find it difficult to get my heart behind it i mean I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm going to watch it anyway, but it is one of those. I'm going to watch it anyway. But it's especially not- since, you know, especially since these big fuck off, huge existential threats, one, they artificially inflate the importance of these characters. Okay. So yeah. back, back in the day when you were watching like TNG, the enterprise is this big fucking super important starship. All right. But it's still doing regular starship stuff when yeah. it's suddenly like every, every episode, is we're doing regular starship stuff yeah. oh shit something's happened and yeah. then and then we're just when monitoring the this class regular... planet there's no reason for anything unusual to happen you know we just thought we'd have a look in as we were passing and oh there's some aliens over there let's go and investigate you know but this is it and then when the big shit happened like you know best of both worlds it's the motherfucking borg you know it felt like an event yeah. you know whereas i'm sorry so what the fuck does the starship discovery actually do when it's not sorting out these massive existential threats what the fuck does it do with its time what is its mission profile like in series one you sort of got a sense of its mission profile because in series one it was like we're fighting a war this ship is a science ship that's working out ways to win the war and the primary thing is that it's got this jump drive that can help it win the war all right okay that's a mission profile that's a reason for it to be doing the sort of stuff it's doing you know and the at that point, the existential threat still allowed for the semi-episodic stuff of, you know, choose your pain, leaf, you know, para, whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> so that, semi, that semi-episodic stuff was still happening before it decided to go, oh, mirror universe Trump analogy, sure. You know, so that sort of worked. But then season two is just this entire boring existential threat where we don't get to see this ship doing regular Starfleet stuff. You know, okay, what is this ship's mission profile? What does it do? You know... Why is this ship the only one sorting out this massive fucking existential bollocks? Like in TNG, when the Borg show up, 40 other fucking starships get pulled out. Yeah, they all get blown the fuck up, so it's the Enterprise saves the day. But we know what Starfleet's fucking doing. You know, in fucking, like, Descent Part 1 and 2, other starships are doing shit while the Enterprise is sorting out the main plot. You know, they're helping. You know, like in Deep Space Nine, fucking massive fleet battles for the overarching existential threat. Starfleet is being Starfleet. But then you get to the existential threat of season two and it's like, oh yeah, okay. So here's fucking two starships versus all these robot controlled evil ships now. You know, and here's some lazy bollocks excuse why the rest of Starfleet isn't here. Like, because like most of the shit that the Enterprise dealt with in TNG is like single ship bollocks. It's like, is a problem at this planet we're going to solve the problem at this planet. All right? All right. Here's the problem with this ship that sent a distress call. We're the ship that's responded to this distress call. It's not like the entire fucking Federation is in threat and we're the only yeah. ship that's dealing with it. You know, and yeah. as you say, as you say, though, like, it is a bit dull because it's like, okay, here's yet another existential threat that the ma- magic crew of the magic discovery is going to sort. All right. Great. You know, I'd like to actually see them doing regular Starfleet shit for a while. 
you know, instead of like, we can presume there's a time skip because they went from wearing the greys at the end of season three to this new colourful outfit. So maybe there's a time skip. Maybe we're going to get some yeah. of that stuff before we get the yeah. anomaly. But Maybe misremembering, but um, don't remember Michael being the captain when we left off at season three. Oh, no, no. She got, she got promoted at the very end. So the I, last I thought, scene... she, I thought she just got promoted to the number one. I don't remember nope, now. She's, she's the captain. Saru got... Uh, Saru went home to Canada uh, to help... To help yes, now, now I remember. Now I remember. Yes, yes. So Captain Michael Burnham takes command at the end in the grey uniform. And then when we come to series four, they're all now in colourful uniforms. Which, so, which, I mean, it may actually fix things because in some ways, one of the problems with it is that it wasn't following the captain. It wasn't showing the captain's decision-making process coming up with how to solve these things. So maybe with Michael as the captain now, following her, making captain's decisions, it may fix that. Season four may actually be when it finally finds its feet and gets back to what, you know, those of us who liked that in the old series of Star Trek, it may actually draw us back in. So fingers crossed, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a straw to cling to. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I entirely agree. The entire problem with the structure of, of this show has been captains traditionally are the ones who make stuff happen on ships, even if the crew are the ones who figure out how you um, make that stuff yeah, happen. It's, it's because, I mean, the way I think of it is sort of like the, the ship is like a living creature. And so the characters, we're seeing like, you know, different aspects of the creature's psyche kind of thing. And then the captain is just the, you know, the, the ego that actually makes the decision going forward. And so that's what's interesting about it is that how do you overcome it? So the technical part of the brain thinks of this, the creative part of the brain thinks of that. And then you have to make the decision and that's what you do going forward. But the ship is dealing with the thing as a ship. But the reason you follow the captain um, is because that's the part of the ship, the, the brain that's making the decision. So for me... It's like, it's a, it's, yeah, obviously it's not a straight analogy like that, but for me, that's how it functions. So if you're now following, you know, Michael, who's not the captain, then you can't really follow that. What's the ship doing? It's what's, what's Michael doing to undermine what the ship's doing? You know, if we're following her, then there must be reason to follow her and not the captain, which, you know, yeah, he went to the mirror universe and then you have, you know, it's like, oh, so that's happening. Ooh. Obviously you couldn't have had it following the captain. And then, you know, with the mirror universe side of the story, that wouldn't have made sense to do it, but it, <sighs> That's why it doesn't feel like Star Trek for a lot of people, I think, is because it's, these are the stories that we're interested in, in you know, with Star Trek. You know, we don't want it to be reshaped to be something else. We don't want it to be like, what can we learn from Star Wars? Because, you know, the Star Wars films out there, if I want to watch Star Wars, I'll watch those. I want to watch Star Trek, you know? So, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, this, this is the thing as well, though, is that on the Enterprise, the entire crew is important because they're the entire crew. Whereas in Discovery... Michael Burnham is important. Yeah. Michael Burnham is Michael Burnham is the only one who can end the Klingon war. Michael Burnham is the only one who can fly the Red Angel suit. Michael Burnham is the only one who can solve the problem of the burn. And it's like, actually, Star Trek isn't about mess messianic figures. Ironically, there was a Star Trek show which had a messianic figure. But, you know, just because Benjamin Sisko was this key player in the Dominion War, Benjamin Sisko was not the be all and end all of the fucking dominion war no, for example it wasn't the be all and end all of every plot of every story you know it's you know and this is it like there are so many stories where like the plot just seems it's, to be it, michael it, does this yeah it's not it's not just that you know she's the center of the range but she's also the one who's related to that character that you may remember from the original series and he's like what oh please can yeah, we not that, like that, that really that pissed me off did that so like just 
shoehorning that in for no no real reason other than to just you know a desperate just a desperate attempt to link it to the old show and you know say oh no it is part of the same universe look it's the same character and it's like no really you know with how big the galaxy is even though we're just talking about how small the show you know the starfleet you know when they talk about the delta quadrant and all the rest of it they're not talking about this section you know this quarter of the galaxy they're talking about no it's a tiny part but um, but yeah Despite all that, it's actually huge in terms of how many billions of people, you know, including all the different alien races as people, talk about how many billions upon billions of people there actually are. And it's like, oh, no, we we just happen to be following this person who was, you know, related to that person who didn't know that relation happened. And it's like, no, no. There's no Bollocks that. to that. Bollocks yeah. to that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing George is... Lucas, apparently, originally, he was going to have Boba Fett turn out to be Darth Vader's brother. And his wife at the time, I believe it was his wife at the time, was a bit so like, really, George? I'm not sure about that. I may be misremembering that part of it. But, yeah, at one point, he was going to have Boba Fett turn out to be Darth Vader's brother. But um, he wisely rechose anyway. Let's just leave it at that. Good. I mean, okay, like, I feel like we've said a lot of negatives about... Like, I mean, to be honest, there's not really much to say about that trailer. It's just more of the generic same stuff. I like the new uniforms. That's it. <laughs> I'm a uniform. I'm a uniform. I'm, here's the thing. As a ship geek, Discovery is awful because it doesn't show us enough of the damn ships. I want more ships. More ships, Kurtzman. More ships. Well, that's the thing. They're showing even less because they've got future technology where the nacelles aren't even attached anymore. So you've got slightly less ship. Like, I want more spaceships. <laughs> I want more spaceships. God. Okay. And then, like, oh, Picard had this exact same problem. It's like, oh, yeah, here's the fucking end of the series. Let's have copy-paste spaceships. Because, you know, fucking 30 mm. years ago, fucking 30 years ago, when they were making this fucking DS9, they could fucking have, you know, Excelsior, Miranda, Galaxy, Akira, you know, Sabre-class starships, all of them flying in this big fleet formation. So you had a sense that Starfleet is not just 50,000 of the same damn ship. But no, here's Captain William T. Riker of the Starship Copy-Paste shows up with 50 of the same damn starship nicked from Star Trek Online. I shit you not, if you ever look up the U.S. Zhang He, and then right next to it, you look up the Avenger class from Star Trek Online, it's basically the same ship. To the point where when Star Trek Online contractually put the Zhong He, like the Inquiry-class starship, into that, they made it a variant of the Avenger-class battlecruiser. I shit you not. It's insane. But, like, okay, so we, we've sort of segued into Picard now, so, you know, new, new trailer for Star Trek Picard, which, okay. It basically so, just tells us one thing. Q. Yeah. The trial never ends, Captain. Which, I mean, we all like a bit of Q. Um, potentially overused and i'm not i'm not a big fan of the idea of this you know omnipotent omnipowerful character in general but you know it's q you know we grew up with him so you know he gets you know the nostalgia pass i suppose but um, I'm, I'm just curious as to how are they going to do him um because that de-aging cgi is really fucking expensive so either they're going to throw lots of money at it or they're going to have some kind of quirky story where q's like oh you're old now picard so far i'd make myself old as well you know, so I'm just curious on that level. It's like they're probably going to do that. They're probably going to do that. Probably. I think they've uh, they, they've referenced that <coughs> in the interview that John Delancey did. I mean, for me, for me, the stuff that is sort of bothering me about it is okay. 
First off, I don't like Picard, the series. And you and I have discussed it, but for those at home, basically, I watch Star Trek for Starfleet. Okay? I watch Star Trek for the specific, unique iconography stuff that Starfleet brings to it and the character relations that come from that. Okay? So to have a Star Trek show, which is very well acted, as obviously, you know, you said earlier, Anthony, but like very well acted, you know, stereotypical space ragtag people, you know, you know, the drunk people, the hotshot space pilot types, you know, to have these very stereotypical people flying around in a ship that could have been borrowed from any number of, you know, modern sci-fi things, you know, yeah, it's got Patrick Stewart in it. Cool. If I want to watch Patrick Stewart being, you know, old, miserable and, and philosophical, I can go watch Logan, you know? Okay. He wanted to do something like Logan, but for Picard. Well, no, because, you know, I mean, like, for one thing, for one thing, it's really fucking... It, okay, one thing that really bothers me about modern sequels to old stuff in general is this notion that here are all the heroes you grew up loving, kids. They're all miserable old bastards now. They're all miserable, and everything that they ever wanted fell apart around them. That's a really fucking awful thing to watch as a, as a, a person who grew up on that stuff. I don't like using the phrase murdered my childhood, all right? But when I watch all good things as like a younger fan, and I watched that, I was like, the whole point of that is that they have averted the future where everybody is a miserable bastard. No, yeah. we have not averted the future I mean, where everyone's a miserable bastard. I mean, this, is, this is one of those things, though, where all good things showed us a potential future timeline. And as I spoke about uh, last week, I believe that's what I said, that I tend to compartmentalise these shows. So I've got, for me, TNG is the full story of TNG and those characters. And nothing else is actually canon to TNG. So the films are not canon to TNG. They're extra things that you can watch and you can enjoy them in their own right. But each one of those, you know, the film series is sort of set, if you want, in like a, it's a separate possible timeline kind of thing. And this, again, Picard is sort of set in a possible timeline kind of thing. But when I watch TNG, I don't really see it as being connected to these characters that we're seeing now. You know, and I don't know, I just always take it as this show is only canon to its own show kind of thing it's like you know it's nice when they try to stick with the history laid down from the original series and so on but that's not necessary because the original series is its own show as well for me but i think that's partly i don't know partly growing up reading certain comics where characters would get changed by different writers and different artists and things like that so it kind of i kind of got used to sort of thinking that way i suppose but um okay so um, for me for me it's like I don't know. See, the thing is, they did make, they did announce it as this is, you know, Star Trek Picard. It's following Picard. It's not Star Trek Deep Space Nine or Star Trek Voyager where it's following those ship stations. It's following him. And it was made clear that's what it is. So it's like going in, you know, it's not going to be that Star Trek iconography. You know, it's not going to be that. So I think it was never going to be the show for you, to be honest. Okay. Okay. There's a lot to unpack in what you said and my, my reactions to what you just said. So, firstly, I wish I could compartmentalize like that. But the fact is, just because you personally choose to compartmentalize like that, that is not the intention of the things that are being made. All right? Whether, whether uh, you can... No, no, no. no, no. But, but here's the thing. So for me, I can't compartmentalize like that. I wish I could. But, you know, now, officially, properly, Captain Picard's story is he's a miserable old bastard on a fucking vineyard. That's the official story. That's how his story gets to be 20 years after TNG. 
All right. It doesn't matter what I think about it. It doesn't matter what headcanons I want to attach to it. That is where that story is going. And that irrevocably colors everything that comes before it. Because now, all right, he's going to be a sad, miserable bastard. And everything that he's working for and believes in so vehemently at this point in his life, when I loved the character and fell in love with him, is now he doesn't believe it anymore by the time you get to the start of Star Trek Picard. All right. And he's probably still not going to believe with it because we're probably going to get more of, oh, Starfleet are bad now in the second season. Okay. Okay. So fair enough. But, you know, I. <sighs> I wish I could compartmentalize like that, frankly, because it sounds like it would make it a much well, more enjoyable reason, experience. Reason, but here's the thing is, no, the, the, thing reason, well, re, no, the reason I compartmentalize like that as well is it's being made by completely different people. So this is basically just a fan film, you know, a Star Trek fan film that happens to have Patrick Stewart in. You know, it's... it's Except... It's so separated from it, not just by time, but by the writers and everything. Okay, so from that perspective then, all right, the problem is that's not what it is. The entire point of it from the moment they announced it is Jean-Luc Picard is back. Yeah, right? yeah, to, not, which I, you know, to which I say, no, Jean-Luc Picard ended then, and I don't give a shit what this show says. It's just what your opinion of a story might be. Yeah, I don't, but I don't, give a, is, I don't need someone to tell me this is what it is, unless it's part of the same series, an ongoing, unbroken series, then fair enough. But you can't come back 20 years later and say this is definitively what it is. I'm sorry, but... Well, because okay. I could have got a job in that and I could have told a completely different story. You know, if my career yep. had gone a completely different way, it's, it's just, this is your opinion. And I don't yeah, care what officially it says. Yeah, okay. There are very few times that I'm going to say this, all right? So I'm going to say it in a polite way. That is a very, very idiosyncratic way of looking at how storytelling in franchises works. And no, not when there's fucking 20, 30 years gap. No, it's, it, it doesn't well, matter. Like so many people like, you know, just choose not to accept the Star Wars sequels as canon because they just really fucking hate them. You know, the, yeah, the, and they're wrong. They have, they have the original know. trilogy and they're just like, you know, I'm just sticking to the original trilogy. It's that. But that, the thing is, like, you know, I would love to have that mindset. I would love to be able to do that. I mean, the fact is. Basically, the older I get and the more I see, like, you know, younger writers coming up and saying, oh, I've got a great idea. And you're looking and thinking, that's the same idea. It's been done to death. And it's like, you know, the older I get and the more I see that opening, happening over and over again, the less interested I am in that. And I've got the stuff that, you know, I loved this back when I was a kid. If that's still there, I can enjoy that. What they're doing doesn't change what I loved about that. I've still got that. I've still got the feelings I had about it. And, you know, some of it's actually dated. Some of it doesn't actually stand up to, you know, the passage of time. But I've still got it. I've still got the nostalgia feeling. Those kids over there can do what they want. I don't give a flying fuck what they're doing. I'm not interested in it. That's some new bullshit that's, you know, it's been done before. I'm really not interested. And by the way, I'm just saying I can do this. I'm not saying I necessarily do everything. I'm just saying I don't get that worked up about it because it's just like, oh, they're bringing out a new version of it. Uh, I'll give it a look, see what they're doing with it, but I'm not really that interested. I like that okay. version of it. Okay, well, again, I wish I could do that. I wish I thought like that. But the problem for me is, you know, first off, my perspective on these things is it doesn't matter if it's been 10, 20, 30 years, all right? What matters is this is the official continuation as licensed by the people who have the authority to set that down, all right? This is now the official story of what happens to these characters. So that, as far as the people who own Star Trek and get to make those decisions are concerned, is where Star Trek is going, to that miserable $23.99. Going back to all good things, that ends very specifically showing our version of the future, then coming back and saying, that's just one version of the future. It's not been set. 
So when you go back and watch TNG and you get to that episode, you can imagine whatever future you want from it. Yes, this might be the official version, but it doesn't know it's storytelling-wise. There's no reason it has to be the exact same one that follows on from that. Yeah, but except for the fact that they've got Patrick Stewart and it's marketed as such. So, you know, I no, mean, I'm like, missing the okay, point. when okay, you watch no, no. TNG, you don't have to, in your brain, go straight to Picard because, you know, all good things end specifically saying that's just one timeline, one possible timeline. You can actually direct it however you want. It specifically ends with that. So your brain can say, okay, that's one timeline that we just saw in the episode. Another timeline ends with Picard. Another timeline ends where the J.J. Abrams version of the universe doesn't actually happen. Therefore, um, the Romulus is still there. You know, that you can go to whichever one you want. And say, like, yeah, you can accept this. And this is the official canon one that's going to be on Wikipedia and all the rest of it. But for me... When it ended, back in the old days, when it ended, my brain spiraled off in another direction. And I've had 30 years of where it could possibly have gone after that. And, you know, these people coming in now saying, this is how it happened. It's like, well, no, this is just a show you've made. I don't have to accept it as canon. I'm sorry, I don't care if it is the one that's in the Wikipedia as a thing. This is not what was set up at the end of TNG. TNG is its own self-enclosed thing. Yeah, okay. <sighs> okay, first off, I accept what you're saying, and again, I wish I could look at it that way. I really do. Okay? So I, 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 I like your perspective. I wish I had your perspective. Okay? But at the same time, you know, what you've got to consider is, <laughs> yeah, okay, I've had like 10 years since I, watched, I first watched All Good Things, or 20 years since I first watched All Good Things, you know? And I've had all that time, and the movies, which I really liked to go off and think, hmm, what did happen after Nemesis? I can sit here and think about that. You know, I've had that time to think, ooh, what could they do? Here are these novels that I liked. Here's what, some stuff that they could do with these novels. I've had that. But at the end of the day, oh. this is the problem. Okay, okay. so as a really random example, all right, the problem with adapting a book is that when you adapt a book that somebody likes, the version that exists in their head is not the version that, you know, gets put out there in the thing. But the thing is, I find that the version that gets put out, you know, from the mass media version is far more pervasive and it will be far more pervasive than anything that you have up here. So for me, I have things that I would have preferred for Picard and I have my own pref like headcanons and what have you. But my headcanon doesn't matter jack shit because the version that is proliferant throughout all of media everywhere is the version that they are presenting that is the canon version of that storyline. And I get disappointed because, you know, I can sit here and headcanon until the cows come home, but I, I cannot headcanon a show with Patrick Stewart into existence. But you know? yeah, obviously, you're not getting the actual episodes on screen, but that's what I'm talking about. Okay, we've had it before with Star Wars. Like, Star Wars expanded, what's now Star Wars Legends was never Legends. That used to be classed as canon until Disney bought it and said, no, none of that's canon. So suddenly all this stuff that was canon, suddenly shook all that away. The only thing that's canon is the actual films. You know, until they decided to do the final season of The Clone Wars. They still can't bring themselves to say that The Clone Wars is canon, but the final season's canon. So it's like, well, you know, which one is it? It can't both be legends and canon at the same time. So for me, it's one of those things where like, okay, so the only thing that's canon in the Star Wars universe is the films. Everything else is only canon until it's said it's not canon. So I basically learned not to get attached to those other things because the only thing that's canon is the actual films until said otherwise, basically. And so for me, the only thing that's canon to TNG is TNG. 
everything else is expanded universe stuff. It's not actually canon to that show. It's just expanded universe stuff. I don't care if Patrick Stewart's in it. I don't care any of that because the films, I don't accept those as canon to the TV show because the films could disregard stuff that's in a TV show if they wanted because for the films, they just want to make good films. Okay? So the TV show, that has to be canon to itself. They may accidentally cock up and, you know, may accidentally contradict themselves, but it's never going to del deliberately do it. But it'll always be canon to itself as one continuous storyline. But then for the films, I mean, TNG ended with an actual ending, and then they decided to continue it with films. And the films sort of like kind of contradict it by the very notion of the way that they continue it after that ending, which is an open-ended ending. So it kind of, you know, you can't say the film spoiled that ending anyway. You know, a lot of people hate the way they went with Nemesis and so on. But, you know, they have to live with that in the same way that you really hate the way it's going with Picard. Whereas I'm just like, fuck it. The only thing that's canon to TNG is TNG. The films aren't canon to it. They're just like expanded universe stuff. You know, take it or leave it because the expanded universe stuff in Star Wars was great. I loved it until I was told it's no longer actually part of the expanded universe. Okay. okay. So, see, this it makes it very difficult to discuss stuff like Picard on the same page, though. Because when I react to Picard, all right, I react to Picard as this is now the official Star Trek universe. It's all canon to each other. It's a direction of the story that I don't enjoy. Okay. It's the same with my reaction to Discovery. All right. Because from that logic, Discovery is completely separate from TOS. So it doesn't matter Then it looks different. But to me, it's not separate. It's part of this one universe that is controlled by IP holders who have the authority to make those decisions for that whole universe. So I react to it from that perspective. And when I react to it from that perspective, like, I don't mind the designs in Discovery if it was not related to anything to do with Star Trek. I don't mind. That's like, actually, no, Picard bores me. If it wasn't Star Trek, all right? Okay, first off, if it wasn't Star Trek, if I took the position of this is nothing to do with anything previously Star Trek, it's not Canada TNG, then I'd look at Star Trek Picard and think, why the fuck are you telling a story about this miserable old bastard? <laughs> it's boring, all right? The annoying thing about Star Trek Picard is... As a piece of standalone media, it cannot work. It cannot function because it, it's entirely reliant on, one, people giving a shit about who the fuck Jean-Luc Picard is, which Trekkies do. You know, we do, technically speaking, give a shit about who Jean-Luc Picard is. Because you couldn't, for example, make, you couldn't, for example, make a series called Star Trek Dave about a very old Star Trek Starfleet captain or ex-Starfleet captain called Dave who's a bit miserable at this Romulan business. The whole point yeah. is the draw on nostalgia. So as a thing that doesn't, as a thing separate from the nostalgia baiting of it's Picard and all this stuff that's happened in the 24th century since TNG or since Nemesis, as a piece of nostalgia baiting, all right, it works on that level. But as an actual story, it's hackneyed bollocks. It's hackneyed bollocks that riffs on half a dozen bits of bollocks that have happened in science fiction shows for the last 10 years to do with robots and robot rights and you know political conflicts and shit it's hackneyed fucking trash all right from my in my opinion it's hack it's well acted hackneyed fucking trash you've got some really fucking epic characters in there all right and some really fucking great writing and some really fucking great actors but a lot of that points i know what you mean yeah yeah but the actual story is hackneyed fucking trash and as star trek it's even more hackneyed fucking trash because it basically like you say, Star Trek Picard was never going to have the iconography. To that, I point at the story that it's riffing on, All Good Things, where in the future segments, yeah, Picard isn't in Starfleet anymore. 
But the first thing they do is, like, I would have really loved it in Star Trek Picard if instead of going on, like, I had this idea where, you know, what if instead of, you know, getting this, you know, jaded, you know, Han Solo wannabe with a beard to fly him around, some young Starfleet captain sees Picard and is like, oh, shit, you're Jean-Luc Picard. You know, I'll help you any way I can because you're Jean-Luc fucking Picard, you know. And then you have that notion of instead of, you know, Picard with some random ragtag bunch of, you know, Firefly wannabes, you've got Picard on a young Starfleet ship and you've got the, you know, dichotomy of, you know. Because <sighs> the thing is, the, the one thing that pisses me off about Picard is what it's doing, any sci-fi show could do. It, there's nothing uniquely Star Trek about it beyond the specific character of Jean-Luc Picard. But even then, like, you know, th there's, there's nothing about that character that you couldn't have done it in any other show, just made a bit more effort to tell the backstory. Whereas if you'd set it on a Starfleet ship, if you'd had the conflicts unique to, like, ex-Starfleet, you know, old ex-Starfleet guy who maybe can't help but step in a bit when this younger captain is doing stuff, you know, young Starfleet crew, who maybe they saw his interview on Space Fox News, you know, about how it's not Starfleet anymore. How do they feel about it, considering maybe they're wearing this uniform because of him, because of the things he did? You could have done so many uniquely Star Trek things, all right, and kept to the iconography and made it feel like a Starfleet and Star Trek show, and instead we got this hackneyed bollocks about evil AI or good AI or AI rights, all right, that's been done in half a dozen other sci-fi properties for the last 10 years, on a ship that there's nothing unique about that ship design particularly and they're well acted but those character archetypes are in every science fiction show from here to fucking Battlestar Galactica alright <laughs> so sorry that's a really ran ranty okay, way but, of but the problem is it's like if they had had him on a Starfleet vessel then it would be like well why are they trying to recreate all good things but without Crusher there you know and it's like Okay, if I had been on the Starship vessel, then it would be the exact same tropes, but there would be Starship vessel tropes instead of standalone crew tropes. You know, so it's... I don't know. I don't think it's quite as straightforward as that. You know, well, especially, no, obviously, especially when, because I... I mean, especially no, in comparisons that I don't see, like saying that, you know, he's Han Solo wannabe, and it's nothing like Han Solo. I mean, I really don't okay, see where you're getting okay, that. Okay, 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 okay. So first, first off, first off, Obviously, it's more complicated than I'm saying it. I'm not going to talk for 10 hours about why it would have worked better the other way. And I'm not going to write out a whole season of scripts de detailing why it's the other way because I don't have the time and they're not paying me to. All right. And secondly, when I say Han Solo wannabe, he's a rugged space pirate captain type. All right. Who flies a dinky ship. Rugged space pilot type. It's an archetype. I think Han really, Solo wanted really a broad archetype, though. That yeah, no, it's a really broad archetype, but it's still the archetype it's they're so going broad for. That any Starfleet vessel can be broadly labeled the same from Voyager to Discovery. No, it can't. Yeah, it can. If you've been that broad with the strokes, it's, oh, it's a Starfleet vessel with a captain and crew. It's. I mean, then you go into the details and you see why it's different. But if you've just been that broadly about the character, I mean, so yeah, he's a rugged captain, blah, blah blah. But his actual backstory and the stuff that goes on with him, and you know. Then there's like the thing that he's like, you know, compartmentalizing things. Like I was just talking again with the holograms and all this. But it's like, you know, why has he got the holograms that look like him? And there's all this other stuff that's going in there. But it's just like, oh, no, it's just this broad, you know, rugged captain on his dinky little ship. It depends on what you choose to focus on, is basically, is I suppose what I'm saying. But um, I know we'll have to do a full rewatch together sometime. 
and we can say exactly what it is that we like or dislike about certain things. Maybe not oh, a full rewatch. I, I mean, that would, I that like would kill show, me. But even I'm not ready for a full rewatch yet. So No, that, that would kill me. That would literally... Oh, God, really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, because the thing is, like, the thing that really, like... I mean, it's like, okay. You know, you know what? It's like, it's like, you know, like we're saying about the compartmentalising thing. It's like, so for example, we're about to have three Batmen on the cinema screen at the same time. Um, they're all Batman, but they're not Batman because there's three of them. You know, and not to mention the other half a dozen that we've got in the comics going on at the same time as well. That's why for me, I don't know, I can sort of accept it as the same character, but not the same character. You know, it's like, like I've said to you before, I used to read 2000 AD and every week you'd have Judge Dredd, but Judge Dredd would never look the same from week to week. You'd have a different artist. So for me, it's, I don't know. I don't, it's, a, it's yeah, it's the same core character maybe, but some stories, I didn't like that one. That's not going in the head canon. And you know what? They have different writers every week and not every single story is actually classed as being part of the official history. So um, I don't know. And, you know, the thing is, every time I hear this argument, you know, and you've, you've explained it very well, but the thing is, every time I hear this argument, my response is the same one I've been giving you for the last 20 minutes, which is, I wish I could do that. I know, but it's you like know. you said that, you, know, you said, but the people with the IP are saying this, which is goes back to my original point of the people at the IP for Star Wars are saying that. And again, the, the point is, though, is that you're compartmentalizing. And, and, you know, at the end of the day... This isn't like the Star Wars Expanded Universe where they dumped all the canon for that to do the stuff that they're doing. The key difference is, it's the same problem I have with the sequel trilogy, is the key core difference is you brought the people back. This is a film. It's big. It's official. There is no way in hell that this is not now the official way that Luke Skywalker's story ends, that Han Solo's story ends. You know? This is a really, really long fucking tangent when basically all I wanted to say about the Picard trailer was, oh, he was back. That should be interesting, but I don't know how he's going to fit into the tone of Picard. Because the thing is, like, Q brings a, a tone of irreverence, and Q brings a tone of humour and comedy, and unless they're going to make him dour and fucking miserable and sad too, I don't see how he's going to work in a show that is as, apart from Picard doing an awful French accent, which is fucking hilarious on about six levels, I think none of them good. Because um, originally... They did actually screen testing doing French accent for Jean-Luc. And um, I remember seeing him on, a, on an interview. And it's like, you know, like the opening space, the final frontier. It was like, space, the final frontier. And it was like, that, that's, a, that's a bad French accent. But, um, but yeah, it just it didn't work. Uh, Patrick Stewart doing that one. So yeah, they sort of vetoed that pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether that's true or whether that's just something that he like, started telling people, you know, while he's doing the circuit. But yeah, he said it in an interview. But no, I. Anyway, Q's back. That'll be interesting, I suppose. You know, I, I don't know. I like Q. I like John Delancey, you know. And who knows? They've got a completely different writer in. They, they're done with that bollocks. The thing is, though, Picard might end up doing the same bollocks Discovery does, which is here is this big existential world-ending threat. Well, well I, I know that it's, um, it's actually writers, plural. Um, I know that it's all new writers. I think it is just, I mean, I don't know if it's like, one head writer, I mean, the way the American system tends to be one head writer and they get different writers in. But I know they've got at least some new writers this time around. So um, the head writer may go in very different directions. The head writer is different because Michael Chabon, who, who did the first season, is gone. He, right. They got a different person. I don't know who the person is now, but yeah, it's a different person entirely. Anyway, uh, on a final note, the one bit of new Star Trek that I have actually enjoyed over the last, like, however fucking long new Star Trek's been going on 
uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, which I love. I absolutely love. I love it because, like, the storytelling is episodic. So, you know, the stories, you know, are self-contained. I love it because it feels like Star Trek, even when it feels like Rick and Morty. I know you obviously don't like the humor, but I'm actually quite, I, I like the humor. You know, and I, I think the humor almost, but never quite crosses the line where it turns this into a parody. It, it feels like, you know. It, See, for me, it I does, mean, that's why I don't like it. But that's fine. Like I was saying earlier, if you enjoy it, fine. I don't want to spoil it for you. If you enjoy it. But for the, me, it does cross that line, which is why I can't get into it. And the thing, though, as well, is that, again, it's a really basic shit. Like, the design feels like Star Trek. You know, the design, the, the aesthetics, you know, the storytelling stuff. You know, the fact that it's a Starfleet ship with all these Starfleet archetypes. Even if you're focusing on the Lower Decks characters, you still have the captain, the security officer, the first officer, all that shit. And the fact as well that there are times when it really surprised me, season one of, of uh, Lower Decks, where, say for example, the bit where Ransom tears his shirt off and goes and fights the big guy, all right? My expectation was, this is a parody show, so what it's going to do is, he's going to do this, get his ass immediately kicked, and then, you know, he's going to be shown up to be pathetic, and then Mariner will somehow, with a bloody foot, have to go out and save the day. No, actually, Ransom just kicks ass because now we are lovingly homaging ripping your shirt off and fighting a dude in an arena from TOS. We are just doing that. We are playing it straight. Playing it straight is the comedy, but we're actually playing it straight. This is a thing. And, and you know, moments like that genuinely surprised me. You know, moments, moments like... Moments like the surprising, like, where characters like Boimler in other shows would be played just complete incompetence. No, he's competent. He knows what he's doing. He's good at what he does. He, he gets flustered under pressure. But actually, there are moments like when he phases those dudes where he's like, we've got you surrounded! Yeah, but I've got a phaser. Zap, zap, zap. You know, surprising competence where, you know, the cliche might have been to make him, you know, look stupid again. You know? So I, I just, you know, for what it was, certainly, I thought it was amazing. And there was, a, there was a great video by a guy called Law Reloaded where he was like, basically, if you want legacy Trek, if you want Star Trek that feels like from that period of time, this is what you're getting now. And if that's the case, I'll take it. I will 100% take it. Speaking of, actually, the old legacy expanded universe Star Wars, I did notice on Disney Plus they actually have a Star Wars vintage, I think they call it now. And I think they've got the, like the old, do you remember the old Ewok movies? I don't know if you ever saw those. The, the standalone Ewok movies? Is it Caravan? No. Caravan? I've heard of them, but I've never seen... They're, they're on there? They're on there, yes. Um, it's droids on there. Let me, um, I can't tell you what's on there specifically. Let me just have a look at that. Uh, yeah, Star Wars Vintage. Yeah, so on Disney+, Plus, if you look up Star Wars Vintage on Disney+, Plus, and you will... Um, I'm doing this right now. You'll be able to see exactly <laughs> what's on there. Oh, my God. If Droids is on there, I will laugh because that's I. I had I never. I don't believe Droids is on there. I think the, the you know the old. Um, I don't believe they call it the, the holiday special, but the the old animated thing that spun off from the holiday special. You know that Boba Fett first appeared on. I think that's on there. So, faithful. Sorry, the story of the faithful Wookiee, Ewoks the Battle for Endor, Caravan of Courage, Ewoks the cartoon show, and the Clone Wars micro series is on there. That's good. Uh, Oh, that's amazing! That's yeah, like... wow! Yeah. I got that on the on DVDs back in the day, um, you know, before the other Clone Wars series came out, and that was the only Clone Wars that was out there. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And then they announced they were doing like a full series kind of thing, 
And I was like, oh, I'm not sure that'll work, but okay, I'll go with it. And uh, I quite liked that as well. But, but yeah, so Mrs. Treasure. So when I remember when we first got together, because she had the uh, one of those or both of those on video, the, Car the Ewok Caravan of Courage or the Battle for End, I'm not sure which one, but she had one or both of those. And I remember when we first got together and we're talking about Star Wars, she says, oh yeah, I love Star Wars. And I was like, oh, which Star Wars is your favourite? Um, expecting her to say either one of the prequels or, you know, Empire Strikes Back or whatever. And she said, oh, what's that one with a funny big rabbit thing? And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what the... So, uh, how are they? How are they? I've heard mixed things. I haven't seen it since I was a child. Um, so, so Mrs. Treasure, she, um, she obviously she saw these as a child and they were part of her childhood memories kind of thing. So she saw those because they had them on video, so she saw them several times, whereas the original series and so on, she only saw a couple of times when they were on the telly. So she was really familiar with the Ewok films. Um, so, yeah, so when I asked her, she was like, oh, yeah. to her, these were as much of the original series, you know, original trilogy canon as, uh, well, as the original trilogy, basically. They were part of the original trilogy as far as she was concerned. So, yeah, so when she said that, I was like, part of me was a bit sort of like, oh, oh, we're well, going to have to um, make sure you sit down and watch the original trilogy again. But part of me was also kind of proud of her that she'd actually seen them because it's not something that everybody has seen. It's not something that anybody, you know, beyond a certain age, it's not something that many people even know exist. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that they're out there to um, torture and horrify young children all over again. <laughs> oh, you know what? Screw it. First thing in the morning from, you know, the, we're recording this at night. First thing in the morning, I'm sitting my kids down in front of this shit. <laughs> you know what? You know what? And they've been whinging at me about what they want to watch because they're always arguing about what you want. No, no. You know what? No. You've argued straight for three days. You've driven me up the wall. Ewok movies. <laughs> How about that? I mean, they're not that long. My... They're not that long. They're not. They're not full film length, so um, it's not that difficult to get through. But yeah, they're, they're going. It's going to backfire, and they're going to bloody love it, aren't they? <laughs> Possibly. But but the the original Clone Wars animated series is on there, and that's worth watching. That's definitely worth watching. Oh no, I've I've seen it all. You know, when it was on YouTube, the full bloody thing was on YouTube. Uh, I watched it all on there. And it's some of the best storytelling in Star Wars history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so absolutely. Um, but no, sort of to hop back to Lower Decks briefly, just to talk about the trailer for that, because there was a teaser trailer for the second season of that. And what's interesting is they are keeping like this, because obviously at the end of season one of Lower Decks, Boimler gets promoted to the Titan. And he's, he's now a member of the crew on the Titan under Captain Riker. So... Right. We're gonna we're gonna get to see more of that, basically. Yeah. Apparently, I didn't get that far in the season, so um, I don't know how it ended. So oh, I'll sorry, I have to go. Oh, I didn't get that far in the season because it lost. I lost interest in it. It's, you know, it's one of those. Like, for, for me, the humor sort of bordered on parody, but also the humor, you know, it undermined the drama, so you couldn't take that seriously. So I couldn't sort of like just follow it as a story. But because the humour wasn't my style of humour, and for me, bordered on parody, I couldn't enjoy it for the humour either. So for me, after a couple of episodes, I was just like, no, this show's not for me, so... Okay. If I had... To, okay, the, the joyous thing about the episodic format is, by and large, it doesn't really matter. If you miss a few, I would recommend watching the last two episodes at the very least. Because the well, last two episodes... They're on Prime, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've got Prime. I might, might give the... Uh, jump in on the last three or four, then. Because I, I would recommend it, because, like, especially the last two, because there's the, okay, the penultimate one is, 
the best way to put it is you will have to sit down thinking this is going to be a parody, but it actually uses the stuff that it's parodying to make a very serious point. Okay? If that makes sense. Right. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say more than that because it's just just a second. Sign just leave it. So children. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but yeah, so sit down with it, expecting it to be a little bit parodic, and then you'll be pleasantly surprised, hopefully, by the fact that it uses that really nicely for the drama. Um, the last episode, on the other hand, like, take out the comedy, that would just be a TNG plot. And, you know, it would actually be a really good TNG plot. I mean, so. I, like I said, I found it difficult to get into, but I'll, I'll jump in, I'll give the last few episodes a rewatch, then season two comes out, I can give that a fresh rewatch. Sometimes... We've done that quite often where we've like given up on a series and then season two comes out and we thought, oh, well, let's give it a try and see if it, you know, if it changes tone or if, if we enjoy this series anymore. So um, we can always do that. So, uh, yeah, that could be my homework. At some point this week, I'll jump in and watch the last few of the Lower Decks. Fair enough, okay. And on that note, on that note, I think we should probably wrap it up here because we, yeah. we have been talking yeah. quite a while. <laughs> yeah, just quickly, not to go into it, but... Um, Part of the reason I want to speak about Godzilla as well was also to lead into the same director, um, uh, Adam something. <laughs> um, he's actually doing uh, the new Thundercats t uh, film, which, again, as I mentioned earlier, as a child of the 80s, that's something I'm super excited about, just for Thundercats. I know that they did like a remake, a reboot, or they did a couple of reboot shows as well. I never saw those, but just apparently going back to the original series, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, also a series that I'm looking forward to in the Marvel Universe, is, um, um, oh, what's it called now? We just saw a thing about that one. They are making uh, James Rhodes in War Machine TV show, uh, Armour Wars, that's what it's called. So I'm looking forward to Armour Wars, um, Armour Wars even, um, which is following the War Machine. Uh, it could go either way. Uh, if it's as dull as Falcon and Winter Soldier, then that's going to be bad. But if it's as good as it has the potential to be, then it could be good. And as I say, I don't want to go into them too much, especially as we don't really have any details at the moment. But uh, it's just a thing to look forward to in the future. Just, uh, those, those are going to be on my horizon when they actually do come out. So the, the Thundercats movie, I'm excited about that. And also this uh, Armour Wars. I'm looking forward to that one as well. I mean, to be honest, before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the only thing I knew about War Machine was... So you ever heard of Death's Head? Not, not off the top of my head. Okay, Death's Head was a, a sort of crossover character. He was in some Doctor Who comics when Marvel ran those in the UK. Right. And he was, in, um, he was in some comics with Fantastic Four and stuff. And he was this character who popped up occasionally. And I read a compendium. Like it was in the, in the local library, there was a compendium of Death's Head comics books. Uh, like a little novel just filled with Death's Head stories. Right. And one of, them, one of them, because Death's Head gets killed, one of them was an Elseworld story about what if Death's Head hadn't died. And in that, the thing that kills Death's Head, because Death's Head's body in the original comics was possessed by a thingy. I don't know what the thingy was. I never read that far. So, <laughs> okay. he, so he was killed and possessed by a thingy. And then, uh, so in this Elseworlds comic, essentially, uh, the thing that killed him is possessed by a thingy instead. Okay? And that thing, Death's Head is basically like, I'm going to get all these people together to kill that thingy. So... The, the entire Fantastic Four, Captain America, and all these other characters are horribly, brutally murdered. And most importantly, for the conversation about War Machine, 
this thing stabs War Machine right through the eyeballs. Ow. Yeah, so all I know about War Machine, like, I didn't know a damn thing about him, except that's the guy who looks a bit like Iron Man who gets stabbed in the eyes by this monster in the Death's Head comics. That's the sum totality of my knowledge. Fair enough. Well, yeah. I mean, it's going to be very pew-pew, shooter-shooter kind of thing. It's that kind of action-oriented. But if it's done properly, it's done in a, wow, this guy's a total badass, I love him kind of way. If it's not done very well, then it's going to be... Falcon and the Winter Soldier style, really predictable, just relying on CGI rather than, you know, decent stunt sequences and all the rest of it. So it depends on which way they go. If they get a good director, good, you know, head writer on, you know, producers on the show, then fingers crossed it could be good. Um, so, yeah, the, it's got good potential. And it's potential for the, this guy's a badass, I fucking love him. Um, so if it does turn out like that, then great. I'm really excited for it. Um, having seen Falcon and the Winter Soldier, though, I'm a bit like, ooh, but as that was supposed to have come before WandaVision, if I'd have seen Falcon and Winter Soldier, then WandaVision, I would have been like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Um, because I think you know, they went upwards, and just, but they showed them the backwards way around. So instead of seeing the progression of the TV shows, we saw sort of a regression of the TV shows. So Yeah, but is that, re- is that really how it works, though, or is it just a case that different teams are doing different things? Well, it's all under that Kevin Foggy supervision. So, you know, it, it, they did have a sort of a plan and then things got switched around because of COVID and all the rest of it. And, you know, certain sh- because certain films are coming out, like uh, Black Widow's getting released because they have to release Black Widow before this other film gets released. And this other film has to get released before this other film gets released. So, you know, it's like, you know, they have to release things at a certain time because this other thing is being released. So, you know, they had to switch WandaVision and, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier around because of other reasons, whether it was COVID or whether it's because they had to get them out in this sequence for this other thing. I don't know. But um, but yeah, no, I'm excited for it anyway. That's all I want to say about it because we don't know anything about it as yet. Just a very, very simple synopsis which could be applied to almost any sci-fi film for the past 10, 20 years. So um, who knows? Fair enough then. Awesome. Well, yeah, cool. So, uh, right. As ever, uh, you can join in the conversation on our Facebook page or in the comments below, or you can follow us on Twitter where I am at Jed was here. And I'm at AK Treasure one Awesome. And uh, if you do see, see fit to join the conversation on Twitter, by the way, be nice. We have a block button and we will use it. <laughs> but yeah, so, so take care, everybody, and see you next week. Bye-bye.